You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison and I'm not wearing any trousers because I'm on holiday. That's nice, isn't it? There's a lovely mental image to start your day off with. Um, I'm never wearing trousers when we record. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. There you go. So we've got a completely pantsless podcast today. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, the voice you hear there is my regular podcasting companion and good friend Chris Kasky. So how are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing wonderful, Pete. How are you? Excellent. I'm I'm feeling pretty great about having two weeks away from the day job. Not that I hate the day job or anything like that. It's just, you know, very dull, like most day jobs are. And that provides me lots of lovely free time to do things that I actually want to do rather than things I have to do. So... <laughs> I don't think I've ever had two solid weeks off in my life. No, I, I, I don't do it very often. The, the, the main reason I've got it this time is that... Um, my wife's going away, going away for a bit in the week to to go and see some some of her friends from Final Fantasy fourteen, and uh, I thought I might as well have some time off as well, so I can I can house sit and look after the cats and stuff. So, um, and that also frees me up with uh, lots of time to make videos, write articles, and all sorts of things like that. So, should be nice. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, so we have lots and lots of things to talk about today. Our main topic for the episode coming up in the third segment is going to be we're going to be uh, discussing some of our favourite RPG battle systems from over the years. Uh, something that uh, quite a few people have expressed an interest in hearing about at some point, and it's uh, almost certainly something that we will come back to a few times as well because there's lots to talk about there. Uh, but as usual, we're going to kick off with the news, and um, with it being quite a while since we've last met, there's quite a lot of it. Um, there's a few things I'd like to discuss in in uh, a bit of depth, um, but I thought we'd just rip through um, some of the most prominent headlines that have caught our eyes recently. So. I'm just going to start at, uh, at some of the most recent stuff that we've uh, we've put in our, our little news docket channel thing. So, uh, first of all, this is uh, this is something that you know a bit more about than me, but uh, um, we've had confirmation that the the snack world's Ingus localization is still alive and on the way. Um, so, tell me a bit about this because every time you mention this, I always have to look up what it is because I, I forget every time. Oh well, uh, so you know, level five they work um, kind of. In broad swaths, like level five, never just makes a game. They always try to mm-hmm. launch like a multimedia empire. Like it's always got yeah. like an anime attached and a tremendous push for toys attached. So Snack World has just kind of been their latest attempt at that. And one of the things that's really cool about it to me is it has this kind of claymation stop motion aesthetic to it, which I find really yeah. charming. Um, there's really not much else to that. It's it's a kind of a cute child-friendly action RPG with some major collection elements. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. look too far off from a kind of fantasy life and yokai watch and all the other stuff they're famous for. But I just, yeah, I really like their work. Some people get on them for their stuff being kind of cookie cutter, but I just find because I'm such a fan of cartoons and even uh, I watch a lot of children's cartoons just as an adult to, parse out the art behind them and the writing and and so to me that aesthetic is really pleasing so i'm just always really excited for new level five stuff um especially because i don't i don't care for yokai watch um i care for it as a property but i don't like the games so i've I've always been disappointed that for the past couple years i haven't been able to enjoy that 
that level five property. But uh, the gameplay of Snack World looks a lot closer to something that I could get behind. So yeah, cool. Yeah, just just worth keeping an eye out for. Their stuff is always colorful and and cute, and if that's what you like, because it's what I really like, then it'll be another good one to keep an eye out for. And I think the Switch version specifically is the one that's getting worked on for the West. I may be mistaken, but I don't think we're going to get the 3DS version at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Switch version is like a complete version with like all the DLC packs and extra content crammed into like a like a definitive version. As it should be. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, okay, moving on. Uh, a quickie, uh, Caladrius Blaze is heading to Nintendo Switch. Uh, this is a shoot-em-up that's been around for a while. Um, originally developed by someone who worked on the Raiden series, and it's got uh, it's got nice artwork. Um, and um, if I remember correctly, it has some sort of clothes-ripping mechanic in it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, so like the, the boss characters, uh, the, the character design is actually done by the same artist who did um, the the strategy Shin Megami Tensei games, uh, Devil Survivor, um, oh, okay. and, and his style is quite well regarded. Um, so he designed all the, like the, the lady characters, and there's like a close break mechanic when you fight the bosses. Uh, but the big thing to me is I'm excited about this because a Moss makes really cool games. Um, Raiden, yep. Raiden four and five were excellent, mm-hmm. um, and with it coming to the Switch, um, it's great because um, you know I have one of those flip grips. To, oh, to cool. play in the Tate yeah. mode, so that nice. that'll be really cool. So hopefully, um, you know that did the PS4 version of Cladrius Blaze did get physical pressings both in Asia with English and a limited run also did it. So I'm hoping the Switch version will get a similar treatment. Yep, great. Okay, sounds good. I, I think I do have a copy of that on some platform, but it's it, it's a prime example of, of things getting lost in my digital library. Like I think I own it, but I I have no idea where it is. Sure. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I may well uh, may well just pick it up again on Switch because you know it's nice to have everything on Switch. As mm-hmm. we know. All right, uh, moving on. Yacht Club Games um, have announced that they're doing a new project. Uh, it's called Cyber Shadow. Um, which is a NES-style game inspired by Ninja Gaiden, uh, with a bit of Contra and a bit of Batman in there as well. Um, so, yeah, looking looking really nice. This got a lovely, lovely art style. Uh, similar kind of thing to Shovel Knight in that it's sort of um, kind of bearing in mind the limitations of the NES, but not necessarily limiting itself to being a completely authentic NES experience. It's, it's just heavily inspired by that, and it, it yeah, looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's an example of what I like to call this kind of um, enhanced nostalgia, right? Like, yeah. like, it looks like what you remember NES games looking like, but they didn't actually yeah. look that like that. Um, so it's <laughs> yeah, cool. It looks, like, looks like you wish retro games looked Yeah, like. which is kind of the way uh, Bloodstained was. Curse of the Moon was the same way. Yes. Like, there's no way the NES could have handled those bosses and those colors but it looked so close. It looked close enough that you felt it was authentic, even though it was enhanced. Um, what's cool about this is this is um, uh, Yacht Club stretching their publication muscles, so they're not developing yeah. this. Um, this is being developed by this uh, by a guy who goes by Mecha Skull, um, mm-hmm. and he's a very very delightful pixel artist that I've followed for quite some time on like Twitter and whatnot. And uh, this is his game, and, and they're just kind of extending a, their their know-how to get this to market for him. So yeah. it's cool. Oh, that's cool. And it really, yeah, that... f- for those of you who are like deep old-school 8-bit NES um, side-scroller heads like me, um, even more so than Ninja Gaiden, it looks a lot like Natsume's Shadow of the Ninja. 
Like the jump mechanics and the way the attacking works is really similar to that, which is okay. really delightful because that's one of my all-time favorite games. Yeah. We also have a soundtrack produced by uh, Jake Kaufman. Um, the, the actual music itself is by someone called Enrique Martin, who I can't find any details on, uh, aside from him being either a retired Spanish footballer uh, <laughs> Which or, is probably um, not the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, uh, you know, the full name of, of Ricky Martin, um, which is probably not him. What if um, it was? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably probably not him, though. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, that's well worth a look, so uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, moving on, uh, we've got a sequel to... Um, uh, what was it called? Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk. Uh, coming from uh, Nipponichi. That has been confirmed to be coming for uh, PS4 and Vita, interestingly enough. Uh, they originally said it was going to be coming to Switch, but that apparently was wrong. So it's just uh, PS4 and Vita. For the Japanese version, anyway, this um, that doesn't necessarily rule out a Switch version for the West, uh, but the Japanese version has just been announced for PS4 and Vita. Be very surprised uh, if a Switch version doesn't happen. I mean, the the original one was on the Switch, and I plan on yes. getting the original one on the Switch, so I'm really hoping yeah. that that happens. Yeah. So this has been designed as a um, kind of a spiritual successor rather than an outright sequel. So you should be able to jump straight into this one if you want to. They've taken on board a lot of feedback from the first one. I haven't played the first one yet. It is one that I'd like to cover in detail at some point. So I've uh, I've got that um, sort of stewing away on the shelf at the moment, but I haven't haven't actually started it at all yet. So um, I know it was quite well regarded though. A lot of people I know who have played it, they they really enjoyed it. So uh, good to see more of uh, of the same, but better. Um, have you played it at all yet? No, no you, haven't, you haven't got it yet. I really no. want to, though. I mean, it's really cool because, I mean, it's it's clear that what this game is, this is an attempt to stretch Nipponichi's the Diskeia design yeah. philosophy to a dungeon crawler. Just like more, yes. more, 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 more. Like, you can make all yeah. these different puppet minions and, and level them up, like, super high and alter their abilities. So, I always love that about Diskeia. Just the... the the meta game is just more about how how obsessed can you get with your customization, and yes. that's that's always my favorite part of a uh, dungeon crawler. One of the yeah. reasons I don't care usually for experience inks dungeon crawlers like uh, like Demon Gaze and stuff is they don't go deep enough into the character building for me, and so it yeah. kind of puts yeah. me off. So um, I'm really excited to play the first one of these games because uh, it seems to be uh, really, really into that. Just make as many characters as you want and, and fiddle with them and experiment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The dungeon crawler subgenre is absolutely perfect for giving the Disgaea treatment. So, yeah. Very interested to give that a go at some point. And like I said, I'd like to do a, a, a detailed feature on the first one at some point. So expect that at some point in the next six years i don't know <laughs> 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 all right uh moving on monolith soft is recruiting staff for a new legend of zelda game um so for those who weren't aware monolith soft had some involvement in breath of the wild um which will not surprise you if you've played breath of the wild because there's definitely definitely a fair bit of xenoblade dna in there um but yeah it looks like that, that, that they are, are working directly on whatever the next zelda game is going to be which is exciting. Um, no details as yet, obviously. Uh, it hasn't been announced or anything yet. But uh, yeah, Monolith being involved again suggests that it's going to be um, maybe taking the Breath of the Wild approach again with a more sort of open structure and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, 
hope you hope you're on board with with new zelda <laughs> mm-hmm. well i am now <laughs> Breath yeah. of the wild's the first zelda i've been crazy about in years i'm not usually a huge zelda guy so so when i saw yeah. this news i was super excited yeah i uh, yeah i was i was skeptical about breath of the wild until i started playing it and like all the things that usually annoy me about open world games it it, it just neatly sidesteps all of those issues yeah. so yeah yeah it's one- wonderful so I-, I need to play some more of that at some point but uh obviously i've been sort of prioritizing other things but uh, i will i will definitely make some time to to get back into that at some point soon okay uh moving on ease nine we finally got a bit of gameplay footage uh and we've got uh some more details about the game itself uh so what do we got there are five playable monstrum in the game um who I haven't actually read this yet. Oh, so, um, so, so, like the the playable characters are all going to be kind of what we what we guessed way back with those initial screenshots. Each of the five playable characters are uh, tied to a different animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so far they've revealed the the cat girl and the hawk guy, um, yeah. and so each of them, based on their different move sets, they will each also have a unique ability that will tie into. Uh, navigation because the actual environment and the ad- and added verticality are a huge uh component of the design for this particular entry so yeah when you have one of the characters in your party you'll be able to use their ability for navigation it's like the hawk guy can glide was the example they shared um, yeah there's a sc- there's a screenshot of the cat girl running up the side of a building as well yeah yeah with her like athletic prowess um mm-hmm. and the, the big thing about all this news that's coming out now that we're finally seeing east which is cool to me is um they just keep teasing the fact that they have not revealed Adel yet um because yeah, they just yes. they just they just keep saying that like you're gonna be surprised because he's o- <laughs> he's supposedly a little older and i think he's probably got some kind of monster thing going on like some kind of infection yeah. or um, so it's it's just cool how they're being so like coy and mysterious, and they they're, they're revealing the other playable characters, but not Adel. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. So looking forward to that. One day I will catch up on the Ease Miss. I think it's only it's only eight I've missed. So I was going to say you're more caught up than I am on Ease, and I'm the yeah. one who introduced you to it in the first. Place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, eight, eight's a, a pretty big one from what I understand, though. So I need to, yes. I need to make some time for that. So. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, the Mega Drive Mini has been confirmed to be launching on September the nineteenth uh, with fourteen ge- uh, fourteen forty games, four zero games. Uh, they will, uh, the, the actual lineup will be slightly different between North America, Europe, and Japan. Um, so the Japanese version includes uh, Castlevania Bloodlines, which people are quite excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another thing that people are quite excited about is that it's it's actually being developed by M2. Um, so that suggests that the uh, the sort of hardware and the emulation side of things is going to be good. Uh, and the menu music is composed by Yuzo Koshiro, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Um, so, um, it uses USB controllers, um, and the, the actual physical unit has got, uh, you can sort of slide the switches down and, um, sort of open the cartridge slot and stuff. Obviously, with it being a mini console, you can't actually put a cartridge in there, but they've actually bothered to go that extra step with the sort of, the sort of modeling of the unit so that it, it, it works, or at least looks as if it works as the original one did. Um, so yeah, that's cool. Um, interested in that at all? Um, in general, I'm not interested in any of these mini consoles. <laughs> I just, I don't, yeah. get, I don't get it. But, um, this, this one I might bite on. Mm-hmm. Um, A, because of the involvement of M2, 
Uh, B, because uh, 40 games is a lot of games. Yeah. Um, and the other mini consoles, one of the reasons I've never bit on them was because I always just found the selection of games on them anemic. Mm-hmm. Like, these things should have 100 games on them. Yeah. They, you know, it, it's it, I, I find it offensive how few games are on the mini NES and the mini SNES and, and definitely on the PlayStation. So oh, yeah. this thing is, is really... You know, I actually made fun of Sega a lot over the past couple of months because we would just keep getting snippets in the news, like more information on the mini Mega Drive is coming, and I'm like, oh, just release the goddamn thing. But <laughs> but like now we're finding out that the, they're really putting some thought into making it a comprehensive package. So I'm actually yeah. kind of impressed with what they're doing with this. Like this might be the one I buy, and not just because I'm a hardcore Sega kid, but it's mm-hmm. it really does seem like it's a more comprehensive, more thoughtful product than the other ones that we've seen. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on that definitely. It'll be good to see what the what the final lineup of games is. The 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 Japanese one has got some quite interesting stuff in there, so it's right got, out the gate. Um, yeah, yeah. So so besides Castlevania Bloodlines, uh, you've got things that we expect like Space Harrier, Shining Force, and Comic Zone and that sort of thing. We've also got Gunstar Heroes, which is nice. Uh, we've got a Puyo Puyo game on there. We've got Mado Monogatari as well, which is uh, an interesting inclusion. Um, for those unfamiliar, Mado Monogatari is the uh, dungeon crawling RPG that is the reason Puyo Puyo exists uh, and was also reimagined as Sorcery Saga Curse of the Great Curry God uh, although with, with completely different characters in that case um, so yeah that's quite an interesting uh, inclusion because I I don't know how well known that is in Japan it's certainly not super well known over here um, but yeah it's it's just an interesting inclusion regardless it surely won't uh, be on the English one <laughs> no doubt almost certainly not no not with, not with that never having had uh, an official localization anyway so but you never know we could be surprised but we probably won't be Anyway, uh, moving swiftly along, uh, we've had confirmation that the new Sucker Wars game is coming west in spring 2020, uh, and we've had um, some uh, a few more details and shots of some of the characters in there. Uh, so the character designs of this one are done by uh, Tite Kubo, who is most famous for Bleach, um, and the scenario, well, or one of the scenario writers is Jiro Ishii, who's worked on 428 Shibuya Scramble and Time Travelers. Um, so yeah, this is this is looking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the series at all. I mean, I, I picked up a copy of the of the Wii version a while back, while while I saw a copy because it's one of those ones that's probably going to go up in price at some point. I, I got it for about twenty quid, I think, which is quite expensive for a Wii game at the moment, but not unreasonable. So. Um, and again, it's one that I wanted to to have a look at. But uh, yeah, this is this is looking cool. Um, so it's just coming to PS4. So no word on um, a Switch version at the moment. But um, yeah, and it looks like it's going to be Japanese only voice at the moment. Um, that's okay. They, they have, yeah, that's that's I mean, fine. It's taking I mean, it's, place in Japan. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's entirely appropriate. So I mean, I'm sure some people will complain about there not being a dub, but you know, people complain about everything these days some so. people also complain that there is a dub so <laughs> <laughs> i know you, you you really can't win i um, just think this is huge because a there hasn't been a new sakura wars game in almost 10 years so mm-hmm. so long my love the western versions of that came out in 2010 yeah so by the time this comes out it will have been 10 years but also that it was confirmed for a western release immediately like yeah. th- these are strange and wonderful times we live in because so long my love is the only Sakura Wars we got in the states, yeah, a- and, and in the West in English in general, and it was like five, it was like Sakura yeah. was five, like I mean I remember 
in my like late teens muddling through my import Saturn copy of two. Like I don't speak a word of Japanese, but just knowing how legendary the series was, so like yeah. I had to play it. <laughs> like I love this series conceptually, so just the fact that we're getting a new one. Um, I grew up. Uh, you can't even like the the cover of my DVD copy of the original OVA series is like you can't even open it like the the hinges like are tearing on the <laughs> on the DVD case like I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched it in my life like I love this property yeah cool uh, another one that uh, that I very much want to want to explore in some depth at some time because I like I say I I don't know a lot about it aside from. I know how sort of legendary it is and how well regarded it is, but I I, I don't know the specifics you, as yet. All so. you need to know is it's a visual novel series that I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and dating it's, it's, dating sim elements, and I like it. Yep, like it's good. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, uh, so that is coming to Japan uh, the the twilight hours of this year and coming over to the West in spring of 2020. So watch out for that. Um, okay, uh, Compile Heart made a bunch of Neptunia announcements recently. Um, so there's going to be a new game, there's going to be an anime OVA, and uh, some secret other new project that we don't know anything about as yet. Uh, so the new game is called um, Game e Ninja Neptune. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's about all we know at the moment. Uh, so it's going to involve something about e-ninjas. <laughs> whatever that means um as long as it's not yeah. the ninja guy who plays um fortnite this <laughs> is the type of e-ninjas we're avoid trying to avoid here <laughs> oh i don't know they I, i'm surely sort of streamer culture is ripe for neptune to to parody at some point oh wouldn't that be great yeah yeah because uh, yeah i mean they they have sort of um kept with the times in some of the games so like Sort of Mega Dimension was about the sort of the the changeover between console generations. The um, um, Neptunia U was about sort of the the lack of trust people have in games journalism and all sorts. So so yeah, they they do have their finger on the pulse of things like that. So it's it's not just sort of straight um, sort of timeless parody. It is it is sort of relevant to certain things. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But uh, yeah, probably not. I That'd think be cool. I think it's yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the animation uh, is an OVA that's going to be uh, launching in 2019. Uh, looks like it uh, involves uh, older Neptune from uh, Mega Dimension as well as the other characters. Um, Purple Heart seems to have got uh, a bit of a redesign. Uh, so rather than her sort of um, black one-piece thing, she's now wearing a, a sort of white two-piece thing. It's not the same one as she was wearing in Four Goddesses Online either, so it's a, a, another slightly different design for her. Uh, so that's looking cool. Um, there is a trailer out for that now, but that's, again, that's about all the details we've got at the moment. So, yeah, looking forward to that. I haven't actually watched the previous anime yet. I had mixed reports about it, but uh, the, the sort of style of it looked fairly charming, so I'll have to check that out at some point. I think it focuses more on, like, the, just like the cute goofiness Yes, than, I than, think the, so. than the actual storytelling. So like if you love the yeah. characters and you're not going in with high expectations, like I watched like yeah. a, a a episode of it and it was a lot of just like, uh oh, like falling down in a field of flowers, like adorable <laughs> stuff happening. Like there wasn't a hell of a lot of like, you know, it's not a, not interested in telling a serious story. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's relatively few of the Neptunia games have sort of told a serious story anyway. So I, th- sure. I think Fall, Go- Fall Goddesses Online did, and Mega Dimension did, but sort of uh, the first three in particular, they, they kind of had a plot, but sort of the most important thing about all of them has always been the those sort of character-centric moments between them mm-hmm. and how they interact and how those relationships develop. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of appropriate. Okay, um, other bits and bobs. Uh, Mary Skelter 2 is coming to Switch, apparently, which is nice, because uh, that released for PlayStation 4 in Japan last year. I believe that's... They haven't actually confirmed that for the West yet, have they? But I think, I think I'd think i be surprised if we didn't see that. Um, but yeah, the, um, there is a Switch version coming to Japan, uh, which is cool. Uh, Criminal Girls X, or Criminal Girls Cross, however you pronounce that, um, is going to be sold as both a free-to-play game and a one-off purchase, which is something that made me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I wish more games did um so yeah it's going to be a pay once version so that that doesn't sound as if it's a a a, a you buy it and still have to do microtransactions it's, it's just a, a you buy the game so presumably it's going to be some sort of episodic thing in the free-to-play version um yeah apparently there's going to be more details on the april the 26th when these are a full reveal of the game itself um and they say the, the purchase method is a bit different from usual whatever that means hmm uh, and the only other details that have been provided so far is that there is a uh, there is a motorcycle involved, and the player is a cat who rides the motorcycle. Oh, this is the, <laughs> the, the this is the one that Image Epoch is involved with, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. So. Or the former, um, I was saying, former people of Image Epoch. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I think Nipponichi is involved in it as well. So, um, yeah. Not not a huge amount of details yet, 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 besides some concept art and stuff. But yeah, there's a very sort of biker aesthetic going on with it. There's sort of like big jackets with patches on and that sort of thing, and sort of delinquent girls and that kind of thing. I love uh, we it. do know that we do know that the 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 new game is is lacking the um, the punishment mechanics from the first two, uh, which has upset a few people. But you know, if the, if the whole thing is sort of designed in that way in the first place, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's, no, it's all you can about the play the first two. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Let this game be this game. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, so it's currently in development for iOS, Android, and PC in Japan, and there is a possibility that we'll get a PlayStation Four version in the West, uh, but that hasn't been confirmed or denied one way or the other as yet. Like I said, there's going to be more information on that on April the 26th. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, oh yeah, Shantae Five is on the way very exciting mm-hmm. um no details as yet just a bit of concept art or uh, promotional art um, there's like a 30 yeah. second video clip too oh, is <laughs> yeah I haven't, I haven't actually seen that yeah. yet, so i'll have to check that out uh, it's like yeah, it's like nothing it's just like her hair whipping oh okay fair enough uh yeah so that is coming to playstation 4 xbox one switch pc and apple arcade which we'll talk a bit more about in just a moment um other tiny little bit and bits and pieces there's apparently a playstation 5 pattern by sony that suggests it will be backwards compatible with pretty much everything which will make everyone very happy if it's true uh however temper your expectations a bit because companies file patterns all the time and don't necessarily do anything with them so um but yeah the the, the pattern there is there is a diagram there that when you when you put in a game um it sort of uh, establishes whether or not the thing you've put in is designed for the new cpu or a legacy cpu um, and it sort of branches off in different uh, different directions according to uh, what is going on are we are we saying like not just 
when I read this, I just was like, backwards compatible to PlayStation 4, which I thought would be delightful. Are we are we talking a potential like mother PlayStation unit that can play the six hundred plus games I have of, of all, we, for all PlayStation? We consoles? don't know yet. We we don't know yet. And so, like I say, temper your expectations because this may not even happen at all. But um, yeah, the, the the kind of structure it suggests is that according to what you've put in there, um, it will run the system in backward compatibility mode, and then it will either deliberately slow down the system to match the oldest the older system uh, or it will alter the way the program's running or it will disable certain features of the console or the software uh, or it will restrict access to system resources and so on so um yeah so it looks like there's there's sort of four different routes that the backwards compatibility can go down according to um the requirements of the software so i don't know if that if that means um, sort of four four different generations of PlayStation hardware, or or four, di- or just just according to what the specific software requirements are. But um, yeah, so the idea of a mother PlayStation is very very appealing indeed. Uh, particularly if they find a way to make it region free, that would just be I would I would I would I, frankly I would come. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be I'd be I'd be done, man. I'd be done. Like. I don't even care how big it could be the size of a goddamn printer. It could like yeah. I don't care what it looks like <laughs> how big it is like uh if I could have one unit with one HDMI cable that could play it. <laughs> I've got a lot of games for PlayStation consoles. Yes, yes, so have I. Yes, the the majority of my collection is PlayStation 2. I've got a lot of PlayStation 3 and a fair few PlayStation 1 games as well and a lot of PlayStation 4 as well. So yeah, having one system that can play all of those would be amazing. But as I say, this is just a patent application. It's not confirmation that we even have a PlayStation 5. So uh, just 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 bear that in mind. Take this with a pinch of salt for a minute. But the possibilities are very appealing indeed. All right. Um, I think uh, this is probably a good time to move on to one of the things I wanted to talk about in a bit more depth now, which is sort of two new gaming platforms that have been announced. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm laughing already. Yeah. So the first of these to be announced uh, was Google's system, which is called Stadia. Um, and this is um, this is another attempt at doing streaming games. So the intention behind this is that Google has these very powerful systems that you connect to uh, through any web browser. Uh, So theoretically, you can do it from any computer, from a Chromebook, from a tablet, from whatever. Uh, They do all the heavy lifting for the game, and then they stream the video back to you in up to 4K and 60 frames per second because everyone's internet connection can handle (laughs) that kind of video output these days. I was just going to say it's flawless it's foolproof yeah <laughs> yeah what could possibly go wrong everyone who um, works at google will be able to stream games in, <laughs> in 4k yeah so uh, i mean i hate this um i hate everything about this and want nothing to do with it but there's, there's been a lot of people getting weirdly aggressively um defensive about this can you be aggressively defensive i guess you can can't you um sure you can yeah Best offense so, so, is a good defense so there, there have been a lot of people who've been suggesting that this this is the future of gaming and you better jump on board with it otherwise you're going to be left behind and whatever um i 
I mean, there are there are certain benefits to this. So if we think about the AAA sector and how much money and time and effort they have to spend at the moment porting games to several different platforms, if they have one standardized platform that they can release their stuff on that they know is going to at least theoretically perform the same way on every way, everyone's system, that will be a benefit to them. That will that will help them produce stuff that will be a sort of standardized experience without having to worry about pro systems without having to worry about xbox one x without having to worry about pc specs and so in theory that's that's a good thing um the, the reason that i hate it and want nothing to do with it is just just the whole idea of of streaming in general um just i find really off-putting just because mm-hmm. um i mean like the main argument against it is, is not owning your stuff um and the counter argument to that uh, of course is that well you haven't owned your stuff for a long time now um with the rise of digital downloads and stuff like that and even to a lesser extent with the case of on-disc stuff that requires online authentication or requires you to download patches to make the games playable and so on but the point is in those cases you've still got a you've still got a thing you've still got a thing you can hold there you can still see it it's it's still a physical thing that you can actually sort of attach memories and things to when you've got a big streaming library i mean i've already mentioned it once today about caladrius blaze being lost in one of my digital libraries when you have a digital library it's easy to lose things in when you have a streaming library where you have access to everything that is on that service one how are you going to find anything and two how are you going to make the choice of the things to do in the first place i mean like we already have a huge problem with people uh not finishing games at the moment which it always makes me a bit sad when i look at the trophy stats for something that's like maybe a story heavy game or something like that and you see that like uh well i mean i mean the most hilarious one is like 72 percent of people have started this game <laughs> yeah yeah but, but, yeah. That, but then you look you, then you look at the have finished this game stat and it's down at like the sort of 12 percent mark or something like that and i'm just think, as skilled well, i'm just I'm, i've finished oh, i know you i've finished one rpg in about a decade xenoblade yeah. xenoblade 2 is like the only rpg i've finished in a very long time yeah and i mean that's that's a huge problem for developers who are, who are making an effort to make these epic games and sort of write write these stories and hoping and expecting that people will see them through from start to finish and and the vast majority of players just don't seem to be doing that for one reason or other i'd say either they're jumping from one game to another or they're spending all their time playing sort of more lifestyle games like like fortnite they have no real end to them um and so i i I don't know there just seem to be so many things with this that just haven't been considered i mean like this by extension there's all the other aspects of the industry that would be affected by this as well. well let's be clear this isn't for guys like you and me. No. This isn't no. For, this isn't for guys who want to play or who are excited about whatever whatever new RPG. What's the what's the uh, people who want to play TikTok travelers are not going to play yeah. are, not, are not interested in Stadia, right? Yeah. This this is for your Fortnite players. This is for your Apex Legends players. Your Call yes, of, your yes. Call of Duty people. Your people who are primarily interested in, in in games that are presented and hosted as games as service. Games that don't have an end in sight, games that are primarily focused on fleeting experiences that are no longer valid when the new one comes out. So, like, I like to Mm -hmm. think about, uh, you know, the the division. Uh, A lot of people who have a real interest in game design really love the 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 division games, the 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 new one, the new ones out. And a lot of people whose opinions I really respect, they're all about it, but when they're done with that and then the division three comes out no one cares about the division two right yeah this this is who this is for Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think I, I think this is this is why I object to the number of people whose opinions I normally respect to who have been touting this as like the one true way for gaming to go and like well for certain parts of the industry yes it's probably a good idea if they can sort out things like the latency and and getting good quality video streaming to you which i still don't think the world's infrastructure is up to just yet i still have trouble um, streaming sitcoms on netflix sometimes yeah and I, ha- and I pay for a good internet connection at home yeah like i get like 120 megabits a second like i'm not slouching here yeah like and i still like sometimes i'll try to stream an episode of shit's creek and it'll pause up in the middle of it like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you're telling me I'm going to get a 4K game going? No, 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 no. no. Um, yeah, so, so so like I say, what what is going to happen to um, the smaller games, like the the sort of B tier stuff that that both you and I like getting? I mean, the the suggestion that a lot of people are making is like, oh, this is going to be the death of consoles. This is going to be the only way you do things. But no, no, it's not because a lot of these developers and publishers they're just not going to want to do this just because it's their stuff is going to get lost no one's going to play it why would they do it it's yeah it just it just it just seems it seems a bit strange how into this certain people are being um when yeah it's it's not a proven technology i i, I still don't think it's it's gonna work but you know i could be wrong i've been wrong about lots of things none of the pe- I, none of the people who i read shit from who are interested in games in the same way you and i are are excited, mm-hmm. are excited about it like one, yeah. one of one of my favorite people i i'm sorry i can't remember her name right now but i really love the woman who does the uh, weekly gaming column over at anime news network Mm-hmm. Um, she's wonderful, and she was like, "Um, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah." Uh, there's there's people out there who are on the same page as you and I. There's just no interest. And honestly, if this is the future of gaming, I'm gonna turn into that weirdo at the the gaming equivalent of that weirdo you meet at the record store with like yeah, the Grateful yeah. Dead patches on his denim jacket who only yeah. buys vinyl. Yeah, like that's exactly it. The same. Like that's exactly the same. That's it. Like I will put a pin. I will put a pin in the last generation of consoles, PlayStation 5 or whatever it is, and that's it. Like, they stopped making video games after that. Like, yeah. and I can live in my backlog till I die already. Yeah. I currently own 1,487 games by my last count. Mm-hmm. I never have to buy another video game again. Yep. I do it because I want to. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I have RPGs that have the shrink wrapping on them. <laughs> like don't have to play video games if they go if video games go in a direction where the technology and the monetary model no longer aligns with my interests or values i don't have to support the industry anymore yep and i won't yep exactly the same exactly the same um yeah so i think that's probably everything i wanted to say about stadia i did also want to acknowledge um apple's it almost felt like a response to it, but obviously they've been planning this for a while as well. I don't even know said. anything about this. The, the only reason they know it exists is because, oh, the Shantae is going to be on it. Like That's yeah. literally the only reason I know it exists. Yeah, so Apple Arcade uh, is coming uh, this fall. Um, and obviously with it being an Apple product, it's specifically designed for Apple products. Uh, so iPhone, iPad, Mac, and Apple TV. I don't know if they'll extend it out beyond that. Uh, it would make sense for them to do that, but this is Apple. They don't necessarily do things that make sense. Or things now, I'm remotely interested in. Indeed. <laughs> so, the the gist with Apple Arcade is, again, it's a subscription-based service rather than something you buy stuff from. Uh, but the difference from Stadia is that uh, you, you download the stuff. You download the stuff and you, you play it locally, so you're not streaming anything. 
Um, it also has the ability to play offline, so that once you have downloaded a thing from Apple Arcade, you can you can just play it without well, that's being connected nice. to the internet. Um, there's no ads. There are no in-app purchases, uh, which is a big deal uh, because, like, I mean, Apple basically invented the in-app purchase that we have in its modern form. So fuck them. Um, <laughs> so for them to specifically say no in-app purchases. Um, is is kind of a big deal, but to be fair just... though, they all they have also been at the forefront of creating innovative parental controls and stuff to control them once the backlash That's gets true. them started. That's true. Like they've they've yeah. been conscious about the fact that it can be a dangerous economic yeah. model, and they they've been a strong player in, in making sure parents can say no, yes, and stuff yes. like that. Okay, maybe maybe fuck them not quite so hard. Oh fuck fuck uh, them, but like. <laughs> It can be with a rib dildo instead of a spiked <laughs> one. Like, <laughs> oh, nice. Um, but yeah, anyway, the, the interesting thing about Apple Arcade is that it's specifically not courting that AAA market. Uh, it is very, very indie-centric from the look of things. So Apple has specifically teamed up with uh, a lot of smaller developers. Uh, and is uh, it sounds as if they're sort of providing them with res resources and funding and stuff to help them realize... Uh, their ambitions for the games that they're producing so there's going to be a lot of stuff that is exclusive to apple arcade uh, because basically apple will have helped to fund these projects uh, and then it's going to be stuff like shantae where it will just be available on apple arcade as well as um as well as more traditional platforms as well um so i mean most of the stuff that they've announced so far hasn't looked especially appealing to me to be honest um so we've got uh sort of an isometric um artsy looking um narrative puzzler which looks fairly generic to be honest i know people love stuff like monument valley and stuff but you know that kind of game just doesn't really do it for me anymore um we have a game called the pathless which has quite an interesting looking very stylized graphics to it so uh supposedly a surreal and mythic adventure yeah, with a cinematic blend of action and story uh we have a multiplayer lego brawler um oh that'll be fun yeah, those games, are, not those games are fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, whether or not that's, that's Lego Battle Royale <laughs> remains to be seen, but uh, yeah, they are specifically calling it a Lego Brawler rather than Lego Battle Royale at the moment. Um, there's um, a game based around the concept of the floor is lava, where the floor is literally lava in what looks like sort of um, fairly convincing real world environments. But so, like, you're in a living room, but the floor is literally lava. Um, there's a sequel to Ocean Horn, which I know is quite a well-received game a while. Oh yes, I rather like Ocean Horn. Yeah, so that was that was sort of a it's a vaguely Zelda-like, isn't it? That one. Yeah, it, it just uh, is Zelda. It's just a yeah. skin. It's like, a, yeah, it's good though. It's comp. It's well, competent isn't a great compliment, I guess, but it's it's very good. <laughs> it's it's charming. It's made with love. Like I really like it. I'm really yeah. sad that I missed the limited run press of it because it's quite yeah. a good quite a good game. Um, and then finally, the, I think the most interesting one for me is um, Revolution Software is finally doing a sequel to a very old game that they did ages ago called Beneath the Steel Sky. Uh, oh, which shit. Old, which was an old uh, point-and-click adventure with a sort of um, very, very kind of cyberpunk Blade Runner type thing going on. Yeah, that's a great um, game. And they're doing a, a sequel to that called Beyond the Steel Sky. Um, so, uh, again, there's going to be puzzles and character interaction and hacking and that sort of thing. Uh, it's unfolding in a, what looks like a 3D environment now rather than traditional 2D point and click. Um, doesn't specifically say that this is going to be exclusive to Apple Arcade, but um, with them 
with them kind of highlighting it kind of kind of suggests that it might be uh, time um, time exclusivity yeah <laughs> maybe yeah you know yeah, how these things can, go yeah we can hope anyway um but yeah they they seem to have a, a lot of games lined up for this already um i think they claim they're going to be launching with like 100 games on it which some people have criticized because it, it, again if you launch with 100 games again you're going to have that same discoverability issue too many you? games yeah yeah it's too, too many games to start with um, but if you have a look at apple.com slash apple-arcade, there's sort of um, some, some teaser screenshots of all of those. Uh, things like Sonic Racing and stuff is coming to it as well. So That's cool. It looks, it looks like there's going to be some support from bigger developers as well, but its, it's primary focus seems to be kind of funding these indie efforts, which is an interesting approach. Again, I don't really have any, any interest in it because we don't really have a lot of Apple devices in our house anymore. Um, both the wife and I have mostly switched over to Android for for our phones. Um, my Mac is woefully out of date now, so probably <laughs> won't run a lot of these things. Um, and I do most if I do any computer gaming now, which I don't do a lot of, that tends to be on Windows PC anyway. But um, yeah, anyway, so I mean that might might be worth keeping an eye on. Um, and I'm certainly more receptive to that than I am to Stadia, just just purely because it's it download based rather than streaming based. Right. Um, but yeah, again, it's it's not not a particular direction I want gaming to head off in. So, um, okay, one other is it fairly substantial thing I want to talk about then, which is uh, that uh, Senran Kagura creator Kenichiro Takaki has left Marvelous, um, and he's cited sort of recent changes in policy. Uh, he didn't mention Sony by name, but it's pretty obvious what he's talking about here. Um, so he he has left Marvelous Games, but um, it's it was an amicable split from the sound of things. He's working on a new project, and he's going to finish off the projects he's working on. He's just not directly employed by them anymore. And he is moving on to uh, Psy Games, who are the producers of Grand Blue Fantasy, who uh, just recently have been sort of spreading their wings a lot more and starting to uh, to look more into um, making console games. So we've got Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which is the game that Platinum was working on. Um, they've got the Grand Blue Fantasy uh, one-on-one fighting game as well, which is coming up as well. That looks uh, so, so good. Yeah. And so he's going to be working on uh, some sort of more traditional fantasy type thing um, with Psy Games. Um, no details on that as yet. Uh, and he is also, um, before he left, he sort of made a start on a new project with Marvelous as well, uh, which um, there's only really a screenshot that's been released so far. But my God, the colors in that screenshot look gorgeous. <laughs> um yeah, so beautifully colourful thing. He said. He said specifically, it's it's uh, that one is is going to have beautiful girls in it, but no uh, no sort of stripping mechanics. So it's, he describes it as a more traditional hot blooded game, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's apparently got a, a girl riding a bike in it as well. So that's uh, that's whatever that is. Um, so he's uh, he's gonna he's gonna continue working on that uh, from outside Marvelous. And then, in the meantime, working on this, uh, what he describes as a more orthodox fantasy game with side games. So, we will see what happens there. Um, yeah, so there's there's a good interview with him over at, uh, was it Silicon Era who posted it? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was them who did the interview, but they, they did translate. Uh... Oh yeah, here we are. So, yeah, so it was an interview with Fumitsu, Fumitsu. And, and then... Um, Silicon Era just just uh, translated and republished it. So, so he described it. Uh, he described the change in restrictions recently, as, as specifically about sort of uh, representing sexuality in video games. So, um, his words were: up until now, there's been parts that changed here and there, but as of late, it's been can't do that or that or probably not that either. And basically, everything is no good. 
Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's just fed up with that, basically. I think uh, this is weird, though, because, like, obviously I understand his frustrations, but I feel like he's just using this as an opportunity to vent about this stuff more so than it actually yeah. having much to do with... I, I think this is very much a business move he's making, and I think he's just using yeah. this to be vocal about something he's frustrated with. Because, I mean, let's be clear, he's going over to Psy Games to make a console game... Mm-hmm. It's still going to be subject to the same restrictions, yeah. and 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 the game he's making is less sexualized than anything he's made before. Yeah. He's, he's said he's making a traditional fantasy style game of the type that he's like the type that we all grew up with. Yeah, but the type that we all grew up with doesn't have like women with quadruple D tits and like panties exploding <laughs> off. Like he's he's making a traditional game. So like I think he's more just using his limelight right now to complain about something that's bothering him. Mm-hmm. I think behind the scenes there's a lot more we're never going to know about yeah. like the, the business and career decisions behind this move. I, I highly doubt this has this stuff actually has much to do with what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one though and I I think it's good that someone like him has spoken up about it because sort of I think the temptation for a lot of Japanese creators in particular is just to sort of roll over and say this. It's it's not really really part of a, a lot of the Japanese way of doing things to complain about this sort of thing. And so for him to actually be vocal about this, I think, is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think you're probably right. This is this is probably just an opportunity for him to, to kind of yeah. highlight what he's been doing and what his, what his future projects are going to be. Because so. he's also staying on to produce Senran Kagura. Like, he's not going to never work with Marvelous again. Like, he's, he's yes, said he, yes. he's going to continue to produce Senran Kagura titles. So, you know, it's not like he's also never going to touch this kind of stuff again. There's yeah. just not going to be, like, changing room mechanics in the new Senran Kaguras. Mm-hmm. And, like, guess what? Those were stupid anyway. Like, so, <laughs> like, so like I'm not a fan... Oh, you're I'm, gonna get hate for that. I get. I don't <laughs> care. I'm not part of the gaming community. I don't care. Sen- Senran Kagura is lots of fun. I love Senran Kagura, but those stupid interactive elements—they're not games anyway. Like it's dumb. Yeah. Like whatever. It, it's when you design something, you design it to a razor's edge. You cut the things that don't make it better. Yeah. So, so yeah. as much as I don't, I, I'm not offended by the stripping mechanics mm-hmm. and the the changing room mechanics and all that stuff. But it just, it from a game design perspective, it doesn't add anything to the games anyway. Like I, Senra- I think, I think in the case of Senra Kagura, the the sort of in combat stripping stuff uh, serves a purpose. I, I to be honest, I never engaged with the. Um, the, the changing room, the, the boinking no. the boobs around and stuff sort of thing, besides like getting a trophy for it, something like that, if I felt like it. The the stripping stuff does have a purpose that I've I, I've talked about in, in my various articles on it. So Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I think that's fine because it's a, a sort of visual depiction of uh of, of damage and it's also sort of a metaphorical de- depiction of mastery over each other and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I entirely agree. Like like I, I still picked up the PS4 version of Burst Renewal because, you know, the stuff that was cut is not stuff that I really care about. Yeah. And like as far as Senra Kagura goes, I, I do believe that the kind of sexualized aspect of it is an important part of its aesthetic. It's, it's Absolutely. Kind of, the, the kind of shameless aesthetic is an important part of it. But at the same time, I don't play those games to get my rocks off to. I play those games because, one, I like the aesthetic and I like the girls and stuff, but not because I want to crack one off over them. Um, but I, I, I play those games because they're, they're presented in a way that appeals to me and because I like the story and yeah. I like the oh, characters. Exactly. 
um and in fact he, he kind of brings this up in this interview here so um so Fumitsu asked that Senra Kagura has its share of sexual presentation but I've always had the impression it was just part of an element that made the title so you're saying even that got more difficult to do and his response was that when looking at the whole thing in reality it's only about 10% or 20% of the elements that are actually different and there's parts that stand out but in spite of that, when looking at it in terms of worldwide standards, it gets judged as everything is sexual, and that's what really hurts. And yeah, I, I've brought this up a few times. Like before mm-hmm. the first 3DS game came out over here, there was an article by um, someone on the uh, official Nintendo magazine in this country, and his article was, This game is damaging the games industry. Here's how to stop it. And like, no. Because his whole article was based on, like, purely looking at some screenshots of it. Like, he had no idea what this game was about. He had no idea about the fact it had a story. He had no idea about the fact that it had characterization and stuff like that. And I've seen that happen several times with that series in particular over the years. And it just makes me so frustrated every time it happens. Pizza with pineapples on it is ruining all pizza. (laughs) Just because I don't like pizza with pineapples on it means all pizza from now on. And it's just so fucking annoying because everyone who starts on that kind of path of, of sort of saying this is bad and it's terrible, it's ruining everything, they just won't listen to you when <laughs> when you give them some sort of response to it. It's like, well, no, look, here is some evidence and some facts about this thing that you've been ranting about. And they're just like, no, fuck off, blocked. No. Perspective. Like, per- perspective yeah. is not one of the tools of the internet. Which no, is no. why we're not good at VN. <laughs> Which is why I have 196 followers on my yeah. Instagram page. We're not good at the internet, or are we the best at the internet? Oh, the could question. we be top tier? Are we just are we just so elite that we're separate from the rest? <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, um, that is everything I wanted to talk about. Um, one thing I spotted that we haven't mentioned yet, you probably want to still bring up. You want to mention Tribute Games thing as well? Oh, that new game. Um, I didn't even put the link up for that. What's that called? Uh, it's called Panzer Paladin. Yeah, Panzer um, Paladin. So so Tribute, which is like one of my favorite studios in the whole wide world, right? The people behind uh, Wizorb and originally the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World game, Mercenary R. Kings. R. Yeah, Flint Hook. Um, they're just wonderful. They are making a new game uh, called Panzer Paladin, which has a beautiful NES aesthetic. Um, and it has a bit of like, uh, oh shoot, what's the name of that game? I can't remember. The one like Lucas Arts did it. Um, Suits Lanos series. Like, oh yes, yes, yes. So so you're um, so you're you're it's like a it's like a medieval. So you're in like a mech that kind of looks like a knight, um, and it's got mm-hmm. this like medieval futuristic fused visual style, which I'm so all about. It's painful. Um, and so you're in your mech, and you can also get out of your mech and be like a little tiny soldier on the battlefield. And then the little tiny soldier has like a whip they can use in combat. Um, and they've said very specifically that the game has uh, the inspiration for the game and the way it plays is uh, legend, the original Legend of Zelda 2. Because um, mm-hmm. they were inspired by the way the the sword play in the side-scrolling elements was really kind of advanced for its time with like the downward mm-hmm. strikes and being able to duck and stuff. So they're very interested in exploring a kind of a sword play heavy approach to a side-scroller um, with with this um, frankly delicious setting. So yes, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if. Uh, Patrice Borgo is doing the soundtrack for it or not, but he has for most of their games, and he's wonderful. So it's, 
everything they put together is just so delightful. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of words to use, but but <laughs> but yeah, like this is going to be good. Yeah, it looks pretty lovely. Um again, not a ton of details yet because this isn't coming until spring of 2020. Uh but they have announced it. Um there's a website up for it now with some screenshots. Um and who did you want to know if we were doing the music? Uh, Patrice Borgo. Yes, he is doing the music. Oh, yeah. So it will be wonderful because <laughs> he, yeah, his his work is very very distinct, and there's really no one else out there who does work like he does um, in terms of fusing a uh, fusing rock and roll with chip tune in a yeah. in a way that feels exceedingly natural, but so orally distinct that it's definitely not regular chip tunes like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just wonderful. He's one of my favorite composers in the modern scene. Cool. Well, yeah, one to look forward to next year. There's it's, it's a lot of great stuff coming next year, isn't there? Yeah, nothing uh, but. Mo- and the end of <laughs> and, and the end of this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God. TikTok Travelers got confirmed for the West yes. for fall. Finally, a Destiny Connect. Um, can't wait for that. Um, yep. Yeah, it's going to be great. Nothing but yeah. nothing but good games to play all the time anymore. We live in strange and wonderful times. <laughs> Do we also want to pay just a second of lip service to the fact that everyone was right and Nintendo Labo was just a prototype for them to finally make VR? Because <laughs> the, the Lab, yes. Labo VR kit's happening. So Google Cardboard and your Switch is just going to slot into it. Yeah. Yeah, it it looks like it. I mean, it's not going to be a full VR experience in that it it looks like it's like a pair of goggles that you have to physically hold on your face. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure some developers will probably find something clever to do with that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I, I I've been thinking that 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 would be an interesting thing for them to do for a long time. So yeah, cool to cool to see that. All right, well, that's been nearly an hour of news. So uh, yeah, good stuff. All so right. let's take a short break and we'll come back in a moment and we'll talk about what we've been playing lately. So see you in a moment. To immerse yourself in the game world. Turn around 360 degrees and no matter where you look, you'll always see the game screen. Pretty cool. Building your VR goggles is simple. Just follow the interactive instructions on your Nintendo Switch. Then insert the Nintendo Switch console and you're good to go. To play, attach the VR goggles to your Toy-Con creations. Yeah, just like that. Welcome back. So, for our second segment, we talk about what we've been playing lately. So, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. So, uh, the main thing I've been playing lately is, uh, you know, in our previous episode, we talked about that um, the good folks at Squaresoft were being kind enough to do a reprint run of the Kingdom Hearts Story So Far bundle because it had become yes. become quite rare and scalpers were making it very unpleasant to get. Um, mm-hmm. So I did manage to grab a copy of the reprint. And uh, so Excellent. I've been basically beginning the journey of educating myself on Kingdom Hearts because I only ever played the original one when it first launched. And I was probably mm-hmm. 18 and I didn't care for it, but I'm not a shitty 18-year-old anymore. Um, so I've also resigned myself to play them um, in chronological order instead of release order. Yeah. So I'm starting with uh, Birth by Sleep, which is the PSP one, um, and that mm-hmm. is chronologically that's the first one. So I've been playing yep. Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep on the PS4. Uh, it's been very interesting. Um, 
I mean, it's you have to take the good with the bad, obviously, understanding that this is a HD port of a PSP game. Yes. So it's almost charming in how, like, barren it is. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I'm inside Cinderella's castle, and it's just, like, a giant box with textures on six sides and, like, two pillars. <laughs> and, like, and, like, two pillars in the middle. And it's, like, the, the Cinderella episode, it's, like, we've got to get Cinderella to the ball. And you get to the, quote-unquote, the ball, and it's just Cinderella and the prince dancing in a giant empty floor. <laughs> there's no, there's no one else at the ball. Um, that's it's one of my favourite things I like about going back to play like sort of early two thousands, late nineties first person games like Deus Ex and Vampire yeah. Bloodlines and that sort of thing. It's like you go to the club scene and there's like one dude on the floor just sort of mashing away and <laughs> you're like, yeah, this this party's really rocking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's Birth by Sleep. Um, I really like it. Um, honestly, I don't know enough about Kingdom Hearts to speak about what mechanics are unique to it mm -hmm. versus other Kingdom Hearts games, um, especially because I'm playing it out of order. Right, so like right. I don't I don't know what like parts of the battle system came from previous ones, what parts are new, but I am really enjoying it. It's really cool. Um, it's got this really neat mechanic, which once again could be in other Kingdom Hearts games. I don't know, where um, you equip your abilities, um, and then your abilities level up, um, and then you mm -hmm. can fuse those abilities to make new abilities. Yeah, I don't. I've only played one and two, um, and a tiny bit of Chain of Memories, which I totally didn't understand at the time, but I would like to revisit. Um, yeah, so I don't think that was in the mainline ones. Um, I think it was just just literally like a case of you you either use the menu or you put um, shortcuts to things like Cure and stuff on there. So okay. I don't think they leveled up though. Yeah, yeah. So like in this, in this, you have like a, they call it. Uh, let's say they treat it like cards, right? They call it your like deck, yeah. your deck of moves. And so each mm -hmm. each move levels up, and then there's a fusion mechanic where like you know, so you level up two versions of Cure to max level, then you can fuse them and make Cura. Yeah. You know, or you can have a you have a move that's like a, a blitz tackle, and then blizzard, and then you can fuse them to make like a tackle with an ice element attached to it. Oh, um, that's cool. Um, yeah. and, and and then when you do that fusion, you can also like add like a gem to it, and then that mm -hmm. gem attaches another ability to that move. So then when mm -hmm. so like if you there's like a gem that's like this gem. It gives you an ability that increases enemy drop rate of uh, health curing orbs. So then once yeah. once you do that fusion, you get that move. That move also comes with that ability attached to it. Then when you level up that move you just made to max level, the ability that was on it, like the whatever, like get more health orbs from enemies, um, yeah. that just gets added to your character as a permanent bonus. Oh, cool. So, like, that's kind of how you develop your characters. Like, you level yeah. up you level up traditionally, and there's different keyblades and stuff to equip, but that's really how you uh, max out your guys, is by paying careful attention to what abilities you're producing with your uh, move fusions and then, and then mastering to add to their roster. Yeah. So, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Um, I remember not liking the combat in the first kingdom hearts when i played it back when i was really young but i'm really enjoying mm -hmm. the combat in birth by sleep so far um at f when i first played kingdom hearts i kind of thought the combat was really clunky and i didn't like it but mm -hmm. now that 
as an adult, I understand different approaches to design. I'm kind of understanding yeah. that Kingdom Hearts was never meant to be like a button mashy, fast paced yeah, action yeah, yeah. RPG. There's a very specific pacing to it that almost makes it feel turn based. Um, yes. So like the attacks land with quite a bit of weight and some pause in between, even in the middle of your own combos. And enemies choreograph their attacks very clearly, leaving opportunities for you to dodge or counter. Um, and yes. there's a very satisfying rhythmic timing to it that I wasn't able to appreciate years ago. But now I'm yeah. really digging it. Yeah, I remember in the first one there was a very strong emphasis on like uh, positioning as well. So like there were a lot of enemies that you could only hit from the back and yes. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I assume that's something that that carries on in the other installments. Um, two had a really cool um, sort of countering system as well um, that I remember enjoying quite a bit. There's a really cool bit in the absolute in the absolute finale of that game that makes great use of that countering system. So yeah, yeah, look for look forward to that when you get to it. Yeah, so it's entertaining to me because I mean. I've always been kind of anti-Kingdom Hearts because my initial experiences with it weren't great, but I'm really coming uh -huh. around to it. And what I think is really funny is that, um, you know, in the anti-Kingdom Hearts kind of camp that I used to be a pretty vocal part of, there was always just a huge, like, the biggest insult was like, it's button mashy, the combat's mm -hmm. mindless. Uh, it's super not. <laughs> um, it's yeah. super cool and it's rhythmic and really satisfying to do right like you could button mash your way through it and succeed but it's the same thing as with a fighting game you can also button mash your way to success in a fighting game but that doesn't mean you're playing the game correctly or the way it's meant yeah. to be played or on the developer's terms if you take the time to learn it and engage with it it's, it's really interesting and really satisfying and your characters can do a really cool ballet of damage and movement and, and zipping around the battlefield and uh, I'm really mm -hmm. liking it, and I'm really looking forward to exploring the rest of them. Cool, yeah. Again, another another series that I'll be checking out in detail at some point because that's such a sprawling series. I'll probably do that over the sort of longer term in like a like a delving into series or something, or maybe some videos. I haven't decided yet, but uh, yeah, I think I, I think I own all of the Kingdom Hearts games except one in one form or another now. Um, so I think it's just one of the which one is it? It's the one that is just the cutscenes for and one of the hd remixes i think that i have oh got is yet. is that the uh the like the 2.8 remix um yeah, the one with sure. the aqua it's, the one with i the... think i think i think it's coded is the one i haven't got oh, oh okay possibly. yeah so code is the ds one yes yeah yeah so. I, th I think that's the only one i haven't got honestly um, you could it... probably do without coded from what i understand coded uh -huh. is coded is like an enhanced port of a mobile phone game Ah yes, yes, I do remember. So it's not it's not like the strongest. And it's it's literally just like uh from what I understand structurally, it's just like a series of like flashbacks and what if scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember the mobile phone game being episodic. Um yeah. but, uh, so yeah. the the general consensus is that with coded you can pretty much just do the cinematics. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe but, we'll do that then. But the the one other handheld one that's cinematics only on the, the the bundle i do want to play um i can't there's remember there's the there's the 3ds one isn't there dream drop distance no that's playable um that, oh, that's fully remastered yeah so dream drop distance was fully remastered on the second hd package the 2.8 right. remix has okay. dream drop distance um which is very well regarded um dream drop distance uh has some another one of the cinematics based on the mobile phone game that the kai Mm -hmm. unchained i think it was called um and yeah. and then it has the episode 2.8 which is a whole new game 
Yes. Um, yes. The episode, uh, it's only, it's a short game. It's only like five to 10 hours, but it's, yeah. it's a direct bridge between the events of two and the events of three. Yes. Um, using three's engine. It was basically like the prototype for three's engine. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, Dream Drop Distance is, is, is one of the playable ones. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Yeah. Like I say, I, I will jump into those, uh, with you at some point because, uh, yeah, definitely interested to talk about those with, uh, I mean, I, I don't think the series is finished from the sound of things, but it's, no. it's definitely reached a, a sort of uh, a sort of natural break now with Kingdom Hearts three having taken so long to come to market. But, they uh, they've said now that uh, what essentially we have as Kingdom Hearts is um, one contained what they call the Dark Seeker trilogy, and th- yes. and three leaves uh, very clear avenues open for new ones, and there will be mm-hmm. new and there no and there will be new ones with new yeah. with new characters and a new kind of thrust in the story. Yeah, trilogy. Yeah, well, right. tr- tr- trilogy. <laughs> um, Dark Seeker saga. I don't know what they want to yeah. call it. Yeah. All I know is I'm playing Birth by Sleep, and in Birth by Sleep, Zehanort is voice acted by Leonard Nimoy, and oh, fantastic. it's awesome, and he's so yeah. great, and I'm so sad that he's dead. But um, weirdly enough, they got Rutger Hauer to voice act him in three, so they got like another super awesome, respected old dude. There's some great voice talent in Kingdom Hearts in general. Oh, I, I'm like, I'm blown away. Yeah, like I, I remember when the first one came out, and everyone was was like really surprised at like who they got to play certain characters. Like uh, there are a lot of some people who were big TV stars at the time. Like they got um, David Boreanaz from Buffy and Angel to play Squall from Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, which is just absolutely perfect casting. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> couldn't couldn't do better. Couldn't do better. Yeah, I love it. I'm I'm con- consistently amazed because I think I, I we were chatting about this once, but um. It's like the main bad guy of um, of Kingdom Hearts is Zehanort, or Zehanort, or however I'm supposed to pronounce that, because the dumbest name in the world um, <laughs> is was originally voice acted by Leonard Nimoy. So his rival Ericus, whose name is just uh, anagram of Square, yeah. Uh, so his Ericus's whole deal was he was designed to be um, like the representative character for SquareSoft as a company. Yeah. So his design, his fate, like his head, he's designed to be Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy. Um, <laughs> so his name is an anagram of Square, and he's designed to look like Sakaguchi, but he's voice acted by Mark Hamill. <laughs> Excellent. And so, and and Nomura said that it was because his dream as a kid was always to have Star Trek versus Star Wars. So, so, <laughs> so, so literally, Mark Hamill and Leonard Nimoy voice act rivals. <laughs> that's amazing just just to satisfy no more his childhood fantasy of star trek versus star wars like this stuff goes oh. deep and i'm in love with it oh i love it i love it i know i know people take the piss but i love it i mean to be fair i could just be enjoying birth by sleep because there's no goofy and donald <laughs> which is one of the reasons i have difficulty with kingdom hearts so we'll see how i do once i get to actual kingdom hearts but i am mm-hmm. enjoying birth by sleep quite a bit yeah all right good stuff um anything else you've been playing lately then uh, i did get my hands on uh the intercreate dragon marked for death um ah, yes. I- i've only dipped my toes in a couple missions uh mm-hmm. i don't love it and i don't know how to mm-hmm. feel about that um but I haven't played enough of it to really have a formed opinion. But my initial uh, impressions are not great. Nah, um, that's a shame. It's quite well, I, boring. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'm picking it up at the end of the month, and from from everything I've heard from other people who've got it, is that it it, it obviously really shines in multiplayer. Yeah, so, that's what I'm hoping. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll definitely give it a go when I get my copy of it, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll revisit that and see if you feel differently after yeah. that. What I will say is, it is as expected, drop dead gorgeous, mm-hmm. like just yeah. unbelievably beautiful. The environments, the character sprites, it's just the topest tier of pixel art you can possibly yeah. imagine. But you know, in general, what it is is it's uh, much like tribute games did with mercenary kings it's an attempt to extrapolate the monster hunter formula to a side scroller yeah and um unfortunately it just feels too empty yeah um so the stages are massive and there's very little going on in them right um and it's like there's there's too much time in between something interesting happening okay like you'll run for a very long distance and like fight like one enemy then run again and fight like one enemy um it's very clear that the focus of the game was the boss battles yeah uh, which are quite amazing but there's so much dead energy between the boss battles that it's very difficult to to, for it to keep my attention right now i I don't know if multiplayer mode will ramp up the amount of enemies on screen maybe that Mm -hmm. maybe it gets more interesting that way but um you know, what games like Monster Hunter do to alleviate that is Monster Hunter also had kind of the gathering mechanics. So you weren't just looking for the boss. You were also looking for materials, looking yeah. like lo- keeping your eye out for gathering points, mining spots. Um, so even during the, the parts that would have typically been boring in an environment in Monster Hunter, you're still actively engaged in doing something as you look for the boss. There's, right. there's nothing like that in Dragon. So it, it feels like there's large quantities of time where you're not doing anything meaningful. And I find myself okay. getting rather bored. Okay. Well, like I say, we'll, we'll revisit that when I've got my copy and, and yeah, see if uh, things improve from there. I mean, I haven't given up on it, certainly. But my, no, no, no. But my initial impressions were just like, I'd rather be playing something else, which is not, <laughs> the, not the thought you want to be having. No, definitely not. Okay. Good stuff. Anything else? Uh, I did have an opportunity to check out the beta for Mortal Kombat. Uh, whatever, what is it? Eleven now. Eleven, yeah. Uh, oh boy, is that a pretty thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you like Mortal Kombat, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, you won't be disappointed with it. That's for sure. It's it's gonna yeah. be gonna be quite nice. Um, what else? I got to play a little bit of Sekiro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shadows die twice. Um, yeah, you were uh, quite taken with that, weren't you? I was very impressed. I was very, very impressed with that. I can't wait to buy it in two years when there's a complete edition. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I can't speak much to it because I really only watched my friend play it. But um, yeah, it's it's something special. I mean, it's clearly Tenchu. It's the new Tenchu, you know, mm-hmm. in in all but name. Um, but it basically just takes some of the things that were successful about dark souls but it really has its own identity um yeah. all all the hard rpg stuff is gone mm-hmm. you know there's none of the leveling up and stat management yeah. and item collecting like you can find upgrades for your prosthetic arm but like they're game changing mechanical upgrades like they're they're right. not just like a new sword yeah. Um, so it's it's very different in the way you progress and the way you approach the world um I know I use this word too much, but it's become big in game design, right? It's like 
the added verticality to the stages, the the ability to jump, which you didn't really yeah. have in the Souls games, and the use of the grappling hook, um, the emphasis on stealth. Um, I mean, Souls fans will recognize certain mechanics instantly, but it's not even worth comparing to the Souls games. It's something entirely different, which is great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, I, I I haven't been like super taken with it so far, but uh, it's it's something I'm willing to give a chance. Maybe when it's a bit cheaper, like I've I've often said that I I'd like to revisit the the Souls games and and take a look at Bloodborne as well because I I know very little about Bloodborne. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're games I'd like to check out at some point, but I just haven't sort of really felt the inclination to just yet. But uh, I'm sure I'll get there. B- there will definitely be a a uh, complete collection of Sekiro oh, yeah. at some point in the yeah. future. So. One of the things that I think may appeal to you about Sekiro that might have put you off from the Bloodborne and the Souls games is that Sekiro actually has a a focus on story. Okay. Uh, So the the Souls games are quite famous for their lack of uh, clear narrative and the idea Mm -hmm. is that you're in this world and part of part of the game of the souls games was always to piece the narrative together through the things you find and clues within dialogue and item descriptions it's wonderful it's something that's wholly unique to those games but um it did put some people off who want character development and a clear story um Mm -hmm. and and sekiro has that good characters with you know there's cinematics and and story and dialogue and uh, part of one of the things that you do is like you can go to flashback missions like like from your past like you'll find that you're like like oh like remember that time where like thieves assaulted the capital and then like you can find an item that allows you to pray at the temple and then experience that flashback as playable oh cool so there's really cool stuff and a a stronger emphasis on a a clearer more defined narrative which yeah may appeal to you yeah well yeah, I, I mean, I'm open to it. Like, like I say, it, it hasn't grabbed me, but that, that doesn't mean that I'm against it or anything like that. I, it, yeah. It's just not been sort of high up the priority list or anything. Sure. But, uh, yeah, sounds sounds interesting. And let me just say too, like, I'm not usually super graphics guy, but like the to see like the historical Japanese mountainsides and stuff rendered yeah. in beautiful 4K with like branches swaying in the breeze and like the fields of, of uh, grasses and stuff it's mm-hmm. it's pretty breathtaking when you first engage with it cool very nice okay all right um so the, th- the, the several things I want to talk about today one of which is going to form part of our third uh, section topic discussion so I'll, I'll leave that for now um i do want to give um a, a, a bit of uh, a highlight to the snk 40th anniversary collection that i've been oh, playing yeah. a fair bit recently as well so um first of all um i, I do want to say um my god that game crashes a lot <laughs> does it <laughs> yeah i haven't heard just, that I, I haven't read that anywhere either but my god yeah it crashes so much uh, on my Switch version, it seems to be something to do with um, like changing over between docked and handheld mode. Oh. Because like if it, because if I if I restart my Switch, um, the problem seems to go away. Um, but yeah, there is there is a real problem somewhere with that. Um, thankfully, it never happens in mid game. It always seems to crash from the menus, uh, or like if you change it from the game menu to the museum menu and so on. But uh, yeah, that's that's something that uh, they should probably fix. Um, but aside from that, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, there's a, a fantastic lineup of games. The historical stuff in there is incredible. There's these wonderful sort of museum slideshows they call them, um, where there's um, 
they provide screenshots and the original flyers and they they give a bit of sort of narration and explanation about the context of the game and how it came out at the time and it's quite amusing to see all the ways that they refer to games of the time without mentioning any specific company names or game names as well <laughs> so like when they, when they're talking about Osmo Wars they're talking about they're talking about a, a popular arcade game that was around at the time that had invaders in it but like they <laughs> but like they just won't say space invaders um but yeah, yeah. So this this um this a, a really cool selection of different games in there. Some some which I haven't explored at all yet. Um, I've mostly been focusing on the shoot 'em up so far. Um, sort of going from their very first one, which was uh, Osmo Wars that I've just mentioned, which was um basically a black and white uh, shoot 'em up running on the Space Invaders hardware, but it had a lot more in the way of sort of interesting enemy attack patterns and so on. Okay. Uh, also had, had one of the first um health bars in a game as well so instead of having lives in that you have a numerical readout of uh, how much energy your ships got left which isn't implemented very well to be perfectly honest but it's it was interesting to see them experimenting with something a bit different even that early in the game um the real highlights for me have been sort of the 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 loose trilogy of games that started with alpha mission um and so we had alpha mission first then there was bermuda triangle and then world wars um the last one of those isn't a terribly well-known one at all from from what i've read of um what uh, frank zifaldi has, has said about this and they were they were really pleased to be able to include world wars in there uh, and i'm really pleased as well because world wars i think is my favorite of the three of them um so um alpha mission is um a vertically crawling shoot 'em up where uh, its main focus is on these armor sets that you can collect. Um, so as you're as you're flying around, you'll find bits of armor, and when you collect three of a particular type of armor, it's then stocked in a little inventory at the bottom of the screen, and you can then set that off whenever you want to. And so the different armors, um, some of them have weapons attached to them, some of them are strictly defensive. Um, there's one called the Thunder Armor that can flatten pretty much anything in the game, including the final boss in one or two hits. Um, so that, so that's a good one to to save for emergencies. Um, but yeah, it's, that's that's a really interesting mechanic that is, is again quite different from other things that are around at the time. Very different from like your standard power up system. Uh, Alpha Mission also has power downs as well, so it has these um, these sort of brown power ups that have the letters reversed on them. So they'll do things like power your shots down and and that sort of thing and Why? sort of get rid <laughs> just to just to annoy you. And I mean they're quite obvious to see. Uh, because they're, they're a completely different colour to the other ones and the letters are reversed, but they, they're just something else to avoid uh, that sort of adds another layer of things to dodge on top of it. Because, uh, I mean, it's it's not a, like a super frantic shoot up or anything like that because, I mean, none of them really were at that particular era in time. Um, but yeah, it, it gives you an additional thing to think about um, and sort of try some interesting things. Uh, Bermuda Triangle is really interesting because it's um, a game where you're flying a very large ship and it's not like um, it's not like a bullet hell game where you have a you have quite a large ship but a very small hitbox. No, you, you've just got a large ship in this that um, can take multiple hits. So you have an energy bar in that one. Uh, that uh, as as well as being your health is also your weapon power. So sort of the the better condition your ship is in, the more powerful its shots are, and so on. Makes sense. Um, yeah, um, it was uh, it was a game that used uh, SNK's loop lever system as well, so you could twist the joystick and fire in eight directions, um, independently of the direction you were moving. 
um you could you can get these little ships that sort of escort you as well and put those in different formations and the different formations do different things when you when you fire and they're at different power levels and that sort of thing um so yeah that's that's a really interesting one and then world wars is probably the most traditional in terms of structure and design but it's, it's just a really good shoot 'em up a really good sort of traditional top-down vertically scrolling shoot 'em up um again it uses the loop lever so you can fire shots in eight directions um you have sort of xevia style missiles that uh, drop towards the ground as well as your shot they only fire in front of you while you can shoot in the different directions and, and so there's a nice mix of different ground targets and things yeah you have this uh, sort of building up power system as you go through and that powers up both your shots and your bombs and they rather than just sort of firing a, a wider spread they actually do different things so like the second level of bombs is like they they sort of they do a cluster bomb thing where they fire in a line up the screen mm. and then the top level of the bombs is they just do a large explosion on the ground so you have to sort of be ready for the different ways the weapons are going to react as you play through but yeah they're just they're just really fun games and um I've, I've been enjoying them a lot i've written about them over on maria gamer recently um yeah it's just a real pleasure to explore some of snk's lesser known stuff that sure. doesn't get talked about a whole lot because uh, i mean snk is is reasonably well known these days but primarily for its fighting games maybe some neo geo stuff but primarily it's fighting games and so there's there's so much stuff there that just doesn't get talked about or people don't know about and like it's been a real pleasure to discover stuff like psycho soldier and that kind of thing psycho soldier is a great game that uh, i will i will talk a bit more about when i've played it a little bit more but uh <laughs> yeah suffice to say for now that like the 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 song in that game is is wonderful and the the english speech and and just just the fact that again it's doing something really different to other games that i've seen at the time yeah snk early era snk clearly one of the most creative developers out there and it's just just a real pleasure to discover their work so even with the issues that this collection seems to have i, I don't know if those are present on the ps4 version or not but uh, even with the issues this collection has got then it's definitely definitely a worthwhile purchase so yeah i um, do plan yeah. on getting the ps4 version mm -hmm. now, now, now that it's been confirmed that the ps4 version has everything on the disc yes all, all 20 plus games Yes, so so for those of you who've not been following this saga, the the Switch version of um, the collection had I think it was thirteen games just on the cartridge, and they released the remaining eleven through um, a combination of free updates, and then they had to put a couple out as free DLC because they bumped up the game's age rating due to um, a bit of gore in them. Oh, it was so like it was Beastbusters Be or whatever. It was, right? Yeah, it was Beastbusters and Search and Rescue. Both of those are quite gory. Um, so Beastbusters is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, for the Switch version, you have to download those bits separately, uh, which obviously raises the old archival question again. But the the PS4 version, they've they've confirmed that the the disc comes with all the games on it so if you want a complete copy that hopefully won't be prone to update issues and that sort of thing then uh, then that's the one to plump for as long as you can live without the the handheld thing uh, me i went for the switch version because it's fun to play world wars at lunchtime mm -hmm. <laughs> um that that to be honest is is pretty much everything i've been playing lately aside from uh, what i'm going to talk about in the third segment so is there sure. anything else you want to bring up before you move on no, I think that's uh, I think that's it. I've grabbed some stuff very recently, um, so hopefully I'll have some more cool stuff to talk about next time we record. But um, mm. yeah, I'm like I said, I'm pretty immersed in Kingdom Hearts right now. And Birth by Sleep alone, uh, you have to beat it with all three characters before you get the yeah. full story. 
and um i'm at 10 hours with one of the characters and <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's gonna take me a while yeah fair enough all right okay let's leave that there then and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our main topic for today so see you in a moment Welcome back. For our third segment today, we wanted to talk about um, our favourite RPG battle system. So, um, there's a lot of things we want to talk about with RPGs. So, there'll be a number of episodes on related subjects at some point, and probably even about battle systems at some point. But today, we just wanted to kind of give a bit of love to some of our favourite ones from over the years, or some particularly noteworthy or interesting ones we found. So, um, the first one I wanted to bring up then is the 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 current game that I'm uh, covering on MarioGamer.net, which is Death End Request from Compile Heart. So this one of the one of the most striking things about this game when we first heard about it was um, the the battle system. As I, I believe you described it to me as as that game where the battle system is billiards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it only um, gets crazier from there, right? That's like yeah. not even the most remarkable part. <laughs> Yeah, so so I mean, it's I, I mean, calling it calling it a battle system that is billiards is is maybe not quite accurate in some ways, but it certainly is a very interesting battle system that I've been really, really, really enjoying engaging with as as I've been playing through the game. So, um, kind of the the, the core of it is um uh, this system called the triact system, which uh, is is just a fancy word for saying that you can do three things on your turn um so there are a few restrictions on that though so the three actions you pick you have to trigger them all from the same position so you have to be in the same place in the arena for all three system uh, all three actions um and you have to have enough uh points to spend on doing all of those actions before you start so what you can't do is you can't set off a powerful move drink a potion as your second action and then do the powerful move again you need enough uh, enough skill points to be able to do everything in one go makes sense um so there is this strong emphasis on area of effect of uh, your various skills. So if you've played the the earlier Neptunia games, um, it's it's a similar kind of idea to that because most of the uh, the sort of basic attacks you used in the Neptunia system they had an area of effect according to what kind of weapon you had. So for example, Vert's spears tended to have sort of like a, a, a long uh, a long reach in front of us so she could hit several enemies in a row um the characters who use swords they tended to have a sort of uh, arc shape in front of them so that they could hit things in kind of a, a sweep in front of them um there were ranged characters who could only hit things that were sort of a specific distance ahead of them and that kind of thing i'm waving my arms around while i'm saying this and i know no one can see me so um yeah <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah. So a That's strong one emphasis. thing Compile Heart's always done well, or yes, whatever. Yes, So, so um, AOE has always been a very strong part of, of the Neptunia system. Uh, Fairy Fencer F, which a lot of people compared to Neptunia, actually didn't use AOEs. Uh, instead, that used um, sort of a focus on positioning and attack types. Uh, so that was a little bit different. But yeah, for the most part, the Neptunia series, which has kind of been their, their flagship series for the longest time, has had this strong focus. And uh, Death End Request is is not the same battle system as Neptunia, but it, this element in particular is 
is very recognizable from it um so um the different moves you can use there the, uh, there are three different elements uh, there is moon sun and star and they have a triangular relationship so each character is a particular element and each enemy is a particular element um and that means that most of the character's skills will be of the element that they are. But as you progress through the game, some of them will unlock skills from outside their own element, so they can cover several different bases. Um, but they, they will they will always embody that particular element. So, like if if a star element enemy attacks your moon element enemy uh, character, they will always take additional damage. So there's, there's no way of sort of mitigating that. And then beyond that, uh, there are physical and magical attacks uh, as well. So. Uh, each skill that you use uh, is either physical or magical and it has a particular element and a particular power level and a particular area of effect so um yeah your sort of effective combat in in this is making use of all those elements to kind of get rid of the enemies as, as efficiently as you possibly can um strong emphasis on position um so you can move around the arena freely on your turn so there's no limitation on how far you can move like there was in neptunia so you, you can position yourself uh tactically uh, and with with there being such a strong focus on aoes that's that's very important um and then there's this knockback system which is where the where the billiards comparison came from um and so uh, if you do either three basic attacks which become pretty much useless by about an hour into the game um if you do three basic attacks or certain specific skills they have a knockback um attribute on them which means that after you have done your three actions you will get a free fourth attack which is just a fourth basic attack but it has a very strong knockback on the enemy so it will send them flying backwards uh with the distance that they go according to how, how heavy the enemy is um and in the process if they bounce off another enemy or the wall of the arena they will take additional damage if they if you knock them into one of your allies your ally will get a free attack on them um and as you knock them through these things called field bugs that are on the field uh they will also take damage from those and clear out the field bugs as well um and the the field bugs are one of the more interesting things about the system because they they have they have several functions really so first of all they get in the way um uh, because if if you step on one uh you will take damage um but you will also restore some of your skill points um so there's a, there's a bit of a sort of risk and reward thing going on there mm. um as the game progresses you start seeing different types of them on the field so certain ones will restore more skill points but do less damage to you so those are obviously ones that you might want to step on before your turn because that's a way of restoring yourself for free without putting yourself at too much risk um there's certain ones that will cause status effects so some will poison you but some will have actually have positive effects as well so some will increase your speed which also increases your accuracy uh some will increase your magic attack power some will increase your defensive power some will make you completely invincible for a turn um but in the process of making you completely invincible they also do a hell of a lot of damage to you so uh you have to make sure you have enough hit points to take that hit to become invincible um but after that if, you, if you're invincible you can then completely step on any of the other bugs without taking any extra damage so yeah there's some really interesting tactical considerations there um the other purpose that they have is that uh when you clear out more than half of them on the field um you can you can do certain things there's three different things you can do at this point so you can do something called uh code jacking 
which uh, allows you to manipulate both the battlefield and certain elements about the enemy so you can buff or buff your party or debuff the enemies or um, turn the remaining field bugs into a specific type so for example if the field is full of those annoying poisonous ones you can turn them all into ones that restore your skill points um, there's a summon system uh, where the the major bosses of the game that you defeated you can then summon them onto the field and they will then uh, tank damage from enemies for you for a couple of turns uh, they'll get a couple of attacks off as well but they're, they're not very effective attacks they're, they're, their main use is uh, firstly them tanking damage and also each of them has got a passive effect as well so for example one will um, increase all of your party members maximum skill points so they can do more of their more powerful moves uh, one of them will reduce the weight of all the enemies so when you do a knockback on them they'll fly further um, and there's there's various other ones as you go through as well so so they're very useful um, and then sort of the, the the big unique selling point is this uh, genre change system and these are basically uh, interactive special attacks so uh, there's six in total that you gradually unlock over the course of the game uh, and what that means is that rather than taking a normal turn um, a character then switches to um, what looks like a different style of game and then you have to interact with that particular type of game in order to deal as much damage as you can so the um, the third person shooter one you start with for example uh, you have a number of bullets that are caused to how many skill points that character has got remaining um, when you fire at an enemy you do damage when you hit them you also do a big knockback on them uh, so you can either try and sort of rapid fire them into a corner uh, or you can um, take your time over your shots and kind of ping them around the arena a bit and try and get them into different different positions um, there's a slot machine uh, which may have positive or negative effects on both you and your party uh, with the effects being more powerful according to how much of your current character's hit points you gamble um, there's a puzzle one which is mostly about uh, sweeping enemies through squares on the ground and you do more damage if you sweep them through a specific colour of squares. Uh, what else is there? There's the fighting game one which is basically you have a certain number of uh, attacks that you can use. Uh, so stronger attacks are, are, are worth sort of more of this meter that you can use. Uh, then there's the billiards one which actually is billiards um <laughs> <laughs> where these um these black holes appear around the edges of the arena and if you knock uh an enemy into one of those black holes then um that will do massive amount of damage to them and then one that i haven't unlocked yet because you unlock it very late in the game is sort of inspired by action games and platformers so you actually have to sort of jump on the heads of enemies um and so yeah those uh, I, I mean it's it, it's not quite as radical a thing as 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 they might sort of make out in the marketing material it, it doesn't change the game into a third person shooter but it, it is basically a a an interactive special attack um that has the potential to do a lot of damage and yeah it's 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 a real lot of fun to do these different things different ones are useful in different circumstances like the the billiards one is really useful if you've got a bunch of enemies that are very strong but spread out around the arena so you can't hit them with an area effect um so yeah that's really interesting and then sort of the final piece of the puzzle is how all your characters learn their new skills so uh rather than learning them through leveling up there's this system in here that's um kind of vaguely saga inspired almost um they call it flash drive um and what this is is um you learn new moves by using particular combinations of your existing ones oh, okay 
Um, so, for, for example, a, a really simple one, that the one that teaches you at the start of the game, is just like you use two of your basic healing spell, you'll learn the next level up of healing spell, for example. But later in the game, you're sort of having to combine two quite different skills together uh, to produce the third one. Um, you, le- you learn different elements uh, for the different characters and so on. So, this, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of different skills for the characters to learn, and it, it just really encourages you to experiment with the different things um you you learn more skills than the characters can have equipped at once as well so you have to make some interesting decisions over which of your abilities you're going to take into combat with you uh so are you going to take the ones that you haven't used very much so which might unlock some more skills for you or are you just going to take your most powerful loadout of things and hope that they're going to be enough for the challenges that are ahead of you so yeah it's it's really really enjoyable it's one of one of compile hearts most interesting systems that i've seen to date and i'm yeah i'm really enjoying it so um yeah very impressed with that yeah it sounds like a really neat game it's just mm. everything you've described on your articles and your site just a you know besides the combat the fact that it meshes the mystery visual novel elements with the traditional rpg elements it just sounds like a really unique title overall yeah it's 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 really cool and i i'm quite worried that it's going to be forgotten um oh, it, 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 will be. <laughs> it, it almost certainly will be completely forgotten which is which is why i wanted to make a point of covering it just because there's there's so much interesting stuff going on here narratively structurally mechanically that yeah it, it deserves a bit of love i think so um and it's got it's got some lovely art as well so if if you liked the art for uh trillion god of destruction it's the same artist who did the uh, did the art on that as well so it's got mary quite a skelter nice... too right same uh, i think so yes there's, there's certainly some 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 similarities in character designs in in a lot of yeah. ways so i yeah, really you... love the character design in trillion i didn't play trillion the, the type of game just didn't appeal to me but i mm-hmm. really love the character design in that yeah yeah so um that's that's my first one um my next one is another compile heart one so i'll I'll let you talk for a bit before i move on to that one okay (laughs) (laughs) i think the biggest thing that that you know i wanted to talk about today um you know as pretty much as soon as we conceived of like interest mechanically interesting favorite battle sequence systems i would like in my head it was already like so we're gonna do a grandia episode (laughs) Uh, yeah so you know kind of tying everything back to what you were saying about death end request um it may not be the first game to ever do this but grandia was the first rpg i can remember playing where character positioning and awareness of space on yes. the field was yes. important. And and so, uh, you know, like I said, there may have been games that did it prior. I'm sure there's some, like, weird PC Western RPG that isn't my bag that I never played that did it 10 years before Grandia. But, like, Grandia is the first game I ever... RP, turn-based RPG I ever played where actually where your characters were standing in relation to the enemy mattered, meaning they mm-hmm. weren't just three people standing in a line next to each other. Yeah. Um, and then it just goes on from that. It's like, b- besides the positioning of their characters, the st- their spacing and location of the enemies is important. Um, Grandi was also one of the first games to take the active time elements that Final Fantasy was famous for and put them on a bar on the screen where I could actually see the time relationships between when enemies would act and what I would, and when I would get to act. Yes. Um, 
so th- that bar basically forms the core element of Grandia's combat, right? So in Grandia, you see this bar. Um, one side of the bar shows little indicators of your characters. One side of the bar shows indicators of where each enemy is. Um, the real, where the real thing, the real hook of Grandia's combat system then comes into play is that you have two different types of attacks. You have a strong attack or you have a weak attack. A weak attack is pretty much just a standard physical attack. It executes in a reasonable amount of time. It does damage. You're done. You can also gamble on a strong attack. Now, a strong attack takes longer to wind up, um, so it takes more time to do, which increases the possibility that an enemy might hit you before you can pull it off. Mm-hmm. It does, But it does more damage, and it also, if it connects, moves the enemy's time back. Yes. It, so, so it actually creates more time in between the enemy hitting you again. Yeah. So, so clever application of Grandia's attack system. If you're really on top of your game, you can create scenarios where you are attacking, um, and you're just juggling that enemy on the time meter, and he yeah. doesn't even get to attack you. Yeah. But you can actually interrupt enemies out of uh, charging up their attacks as well, can't you? Because there's, yes. there's there's like a, a part of the bar that says "com," which is where where you and the enemies choose their actions, and then there's "act" at the far end, and yeah. and there's 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 a, a period of time between those two things, and and variable speed according to the different actions. So yeah, which is also it, where they can disrupt your they can disrupt your heavy attack if they yes. hit you. That's where the gamble comes in. Yeah, so I mean that, that's that's Grandia, um, just a really interesting um, system where timing and spatial relationships were important. And it was the first game that really made me think that way about RPG combat, thinking about more than just making menu selections yeah. um, and, and worrying about numbers. Um, you know, uh, they're all good. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a game of diminishing returns, I think. I think the common consensus is that Grandia 1 is certainly the best. Grandia 2, great, but not so good. Grandia 3, people forget it exists, but it's still yeah. a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just, I love the the fourth spinoff game, uh, Grandia Extreme, which yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't like. Um, so Grandia Extreme is great for people who love the combat of Grandia, because it was what is it essentially was was the developer of Grandia Game Arts saying, like, people love the combat of Grandia, Let's really focus on the mechanical elements of Grandia and less on the narrative elements. Mm-hmm. Um, so Grandia Extreme is not a numbered entry because what it does is it's just a dungeon crawler. Yeah. Set in with Grandia mechanics. Like you just, there's a hub town and different dungeons you go to to explore and just fight and fight and fight and fight and grind and grind and grind and grind. So it's everything, it's everything you love about a dungeon crawler, but with Grandia combat. I was say, that sounds great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's delightful, but it really got shit on when it came out because, oh, it wasn't a big, sprawling RPG. And I think everyone, I think everyone at that point wanted Grandia 3 because it yeah. came out in between 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the game people wanted, so that automatically made it a bad game. Yeah. Right? But it's quite good. It's a really cool dungeon crawler. And if you love Grandia's combat, as I do, it's an opportunity to engage with Grandia's combat without getting weighed down by cutscenes and, and, and super narrative heavy stuff. Hmm. So, oh. uh, yeah. So that, I don't know. That, that, that's Grandia. It just, mm-hmm. I think widely respected as one of the best combat systems. Yeah. To, to grace the yeah. genre. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely a, lo- a long-standing favourite of mine. I didn't play Grandia One till much later than I played Grandia Two. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, both 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 fantastic games. Um, I wasn't originally going to mention this, but uh, just you mentioning it there just reminded me um, that um, Blue Reflection actually had a mm. very Grandia-esque combat system. Um, less about the sort of positioning side of things, but it, it certainly had a very similar sort of time meter mechanic, and okay. there were a lot of. Um, there are a lot of moves that involved manipulating that time meter, uh, not either knocking it back or sort of triggering an attack, which would then cause several markers to appear on the time meter that showed when, when sort of the attack would do things, if you like. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, that was that was that was quite an interesting implementation of that similar idea. So uh, yeah, if you like Grandius combat, then uh, then certainly certainly Blue Reflections combat has some very similar elements in there as well that uh, are worth looking at. Um, Okay, so the next game I wanted to bring up, like I say, is an, uh, another Compile Heart game. Uh, very different in execution to Death End Request and Neptunia and that sort of thing. Uh, it was actually their first PS4 game, if I remember correctly, um, which is uh, Omega Quintet. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's the one with the idol theme, right? Yes, that's right. So so Omega Quintet is a, a post-apocalyptic RPG in which sort of uh, the last hope of humanity is is in this group of idols. He also happens to be really good at hitting things with hammers. Um, so, um, yeah, w- with that in mind, um, thematically, the game is very much about performance. Um it's it's sort of suggested to you that that all the battles you're doing are being broadcast to people around the world so there's this sort of commentary on them as you're going through uh from sort of your manager who is sort of announcing things to one and saying oh well look at look how amazing they did there or something like that so um and that that spills across into the mechanics as well there's a very strong emphasis mechanically on showmanship um i love it it almost sounds like a fusion of devil may cry's style system on a turn-based structure yeah yeah it, it, it kind of is that it's it's all about doing the most spectacular things possible um and so there's there's several several things that are in that system that allow you to do that so one of the main ones is this system called harmonics uh, which basically means instead of all your characters taking their turns separately uh, all of the characters who are adjacent to each other on the turn order they all take their turns at the same time um and so that uh, and in Omega Quintet, each character has a certain number of action points per turn, which is how many how many things they can do. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to try and do is get everyone lined up in the turn order, do harmonics uh, when they've got the maximum possible number of action points, and then do as many things as possible at once. Because it's sort of uh, like the longer combo you do, the more damage you do. Um, certain combinations of things naturally follow on to each other. So like... Um, most of the elemental moves in particular there'll be like a little marker in the corner of the screen that says oh you should you should try and use this element next after this one and if you do the damage will gradually build up and do debuffs on the enemies and that sort of thing so there's a very strong emphasis on sort of almost choreographed routines so sort of a specific combination and order of things that is the most effective way of doing things um and so i i remember one of one of (laughs) Uh, the, I think the page that got the most ever hits on my old personal blog before I started Moe Gamer was I, I wrote an article on how to win at Omega Quintet because there's, there's by the end of the game when you've unlocked all the abilities there's this there's this one specific combination of things that just absolutely decimates everything in the game but it's a very really complicated sequence of things I'll I will see if I can find it right now actually um, 
it, it basically involved uh, doing a sequence of elemental attacks uh, that debuffed the enemy so much that by the time you moved on to the physical attacks, uh, you were just doing massive amounts of damage. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, um, because if you just did one attack, you wouldn't seem to do very much damage at all. Uh, but if you sort of prefaced it, prefaced it with... Um, all of these elemental skills because the elemental skills weren't very powerful by themselves but they did have a lot of debuffs attached to them um yeah that's 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 what you did so um oh god i won't read out the whole thing because it's uh incredibly incredibly long um but yeah it's it's, it's basically each character does one of each element and then they each do sort of one of their main weapon skills as well uh, and then you could further buff that damage by using what's called, um, I think it was called live concert mode or something like that, which changes the battle mode to all the all the girls singing while the <laughs> while you're fighting the enemies. So awesome. this is this is a ridiculous sort of J-pop song going on in the background while you're kicking the shit out of these giant sort of slobbering monsters with tentacles. Um, yeah, it's 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 just fantastic and um, quite difficult and by no means a perfect game because there's, there's this really annoying mechanic in Omega Quintet called Order Break um, where the enemy will just interrupt your turn and, and do something but there is always um, sort of a specific trigger to that um, so you can, you can learn those things but when, you, when you're trying to get through the game that can be quite annoying um, but yeah it's, it's, a, it's certainly again a very interesting game and one that's very different from what I've previously described here as well so that's definitely worth checking out. Um, I also found that quite interesting for um, its its emphasis on overkilling enemies as well. So we've oh, sort of yeah, seen, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we've sort of seen overkill mechanics and stuff like Final Fantasy X. I think was the first time I saw that, where sort of you do much more damage than you need to, to to defeat an enemy, and that will give you additional bonuses. So Omega Quintet very much put a strong focus on that by um, when you'd emptied an enemy's hit point bar any additional damage you did started to fill it up again um, and if you completely refilled the enemy's hit point bar with all that extra damage so basically put them on the negative maximum hit point total uh, you would get a huge bonus at the end of that and so sort of okay. getting the most experience and skill points and various other progression elements in the game was dependent on you doing that as much as possible and again that tied in with the whole showmanship thing so like your battles were being broadcast so obviously you want to you want to defeat the enemies as spectacularly as possible you want to decimate them do as much damage as possible so everyone is feeling inspired by your skills and that sort of thing and so yeah it just really ties in nicely with the theme of things but it's a lot of fun to engage with as well so yeah that's that's a, a relatively recent favorite of mine that uh, i wanted to highlight okay what else you got? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it kind of all ties in with something that has come up in a couple of the games you've mentioned so far. Um, you know, uh, Idea Factor and Compile Heart, they really like these RPGs with combo systems. Yes. Where, where you're not just choosing attack or a spell, but you're using a, a set, a number of skill points to choose a combination of moves to execute in a certain mm -hmm. turn. Uh, and I've always had a soft spot for games that did that. Um and going back to kind of earlier RPGs that are some of the earliest ones I can remember to do that was uh, uh, the original Xenogears. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, so the original Xenogears had that emphasis on these these amazing martial arts combos that you built by, you know, you had three moves tied to X 
circle and triangle or whatever and then you would you would piece together a combo move based on the amount of skill points you had available uh and if you chose the right combination of attacks in the right order you would also trigger this like flashy finisher um and it was wonderful um and now i can't remember what game did it first um i'm sure i could look it up on wikipedia and get a date get dates but um i've always loved the legend of lagaya series for that Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a series I don't hear talked about very often. There's only yeah, two. I, yeah, two I games. don't know well. Yeah, so I mean, it's just that. So like, I always thought of Legend of Lagaya as like if they wanted to make like a Dragon Ball RPG. It's just <laughs> like that. There's a very specific narrative emphasis in the Lagaya series on the fact that these characters are martial artists. So the combat plays into that. And what it really is, is um, if you ever played Final Fantasy VI, um, and you remember Sabin's Blitz mechanics? Yeah, yeah. Where you would input literally Street Fighter commands in, down, down, toward, and then the attack, and that would trigger a, a different special move. Um, so basically, the Legend of Lagaya series extrapolates that to the entire combat system. Hmm. So like every time you attack, you're doing that. High attack, low attack, leg sweep. And then based on, um, you know, as your characters level up, they will get more skill points to do more moves in an attack. Um, And then the order that you put in those commands may also trigger a a flashy finisher. Yeah. Um, Just, you know, like a giant fireball or a flaming spinning uppercut. It's all very um, fighting game inspired because the input commands often mimic what you would expect from mm-hmm. uh, a fighting game. So, like, you know, in a lot of classic fighting games, um, like, the ultimate special for a character is, like, start it back, a full down scroll of back, back toward, down, like, like back, away, down, down, down toward, toward, then, like, three attacks at once, right? Like, that, that, full, that, <laughs> yeah. that full bottom sweep of the, of the circle. And so, like, when you get to the very end game of the leg of the Lagaya games, like that's what you've got to input that, <laughs> and, and then like you you get to do like the massive. Thing. Um, and I just love I love those games. Um, you know, I won't yeah. I won't get into the narrative, uh, but the the first one in particular has a very interesting setting and narrative that to this day is totally unlike anything I've ever experienced. But um, yeah, those games had really interesting combat systems ba- based on martial arts combos. Um, and I've never yeah. really seen the like, um, except for in Xenoblade. I mean, Xenogears and these, and later on, the um, these Compile Heart games kind of resurrected that style of combat in a, in yeah. a big way. Yeah, I mean, uh, current Compile Heart stuff, the, the way they handle combos is a little bit different, um, but it's worth mentioning the first ever Neptunia game uh-huh. in this regard as well. Because the combat in that was actually surprisingly inspired by Xenogears. Yes, uh, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if that was a deliberate decision or anything, but the um, that used the same. You assign an attack to a button, and then the 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 different combos you put out are, are according to uh, the different order that you press the buttons in. And one thing I really really loved about that game was um, just spending time in the menus figuring out the order you should put your moves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very satisfying. That fit, 
yeah, that felt like a, a significant, almost like a puzzle to unravel because you thought, right, okay, so if I put these three moves in and then put my last move as a switch to the character in the back line, they can then do this combination of moves and then switch back to the first character and then they can do this and then they can break the enemy's guard with this. And yeah, it was it was incredibly satisfying. And um, the original Neptune has has lots of sort of clunky elements and so on, but that that part of things was a real highlight for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, yeah 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 I remember playing it and thinking this is this is kind of like Xenogears and yeah that was that was really cool that made me very happy yeah yeah so Xeno Xeno Saga continued that mm-hmm. um, from Xeno Gears um, and then Xeno Saga two which is the one nobody likes but it still had some really interesting stuff going on uh, introduced a lot of the stuff we would come to love from in Xenoblade which I think a lot of people oh, okay. a lot of people forget about this but. Uh, Xeno Saga 2 introduced the, um, like the stun lock and then the uppercut and the, and the down, okay. and the down mechanic. Oh, right. That, yeah. that all comes from Xeno Saga 2. And mm. everyone forgets that. Everyone's like, oh, Xenoblade introduced this and it's amazing. No, Xeno Saga, <laughs> Xeno Saga 2 did. And everyone yeah. hated it because it was way too complicated. It was like super, <laughs> it was super ahead of its time. But the whole yeah. like upset and down mechanic all came from Xeno Xeno Saga two, and it was all tied to the way you structured those combos. Yeah. So just uh, in general, um, Monolith Soft were always like super innovative when it came to combat mm-hmm. combat mechanics. Yeah, well, you're you're quite big on button chaos as well, aren't you? Yes, and that's I have that on my list too. Uh, and you know, it's yeah. funny because you also mentioned Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. That's a, that's yeah. another card card based RPG, but um, so Bot and Kaidos is a Monolith Soft RPG series. There's only two of them. They're on the GameCube. I want desperately for this series to get revived because I think it's a beautiful fit for the Switch. Um, but in Bot and Kaidos, there's no traditional equipment, no items, no nothing. There's only mm-hmm. cards, and everything you do in combat is driven by a uh, collectible card game where. So yeah. it's cool because you know, some people don't like it, but to me it's really interesting because, you know, so many times in RPGs, once you really figure these, the mechanics out and the, the flow and of battle, you really start to lock in on your standard strategies. Mm-hmm. Like these are my go-to moves. These are my go-to sequences of doing things. Um, Bot and Kaidos doesn't let you do that because yeah. your capabilities in battle are totally dictated by what you draw in your hand. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't draw a shield, you don't get to defend. Yeah. God forbid the hand you pull is like four apples and a dagger, then you then <laughs> then you can't heal. You can't attack with your sword. You can't. It's so like what it really does is forces you to think on the fly in a way that RPGs generally don't do, yeah. because you get caught in a rut with how you perform. So so Bot and Kaidos really forces you to understand its mechanics deeply and be able to adapt on the fly to situations that are prevent- presented to you via yeah. via the card mechanic. And I just thought that was really, really neat and really, really different. And I don't haven't mm-hmm. really seen its like since. Yeah. Yeah, there have been, there've been a few sort of card-based systems over the years, haven't there? Um, was it Fantasy Star Online 3 that did the card system as well? Yeah, but see, Fantasy Star Online 3, was it, it was a card game. Oh right, uh, yeah. I've never actually played yeah, that. One, so so I, like, yeah, so like, I haven't. Fantasy Star Online Three v- was very much um, like whenever you were in a fight, it it was the card game. 
Okay. So like yeah. it would create a, a, it would zoom out, and then the the stadium would turn into a grid. And I think it was, I want to say six by six. Like you get a, right. either six by six or nine by nine, whatever. But it, it gridded the stadium out, and your cards were so. Uh, if you played the side that controlled monsters, your cards were the monsters you would summon and move on the grid. If you mm-hmm. if you played on the good guy side, your cards were your equipment. But like, right. um, there wasn't any illusions with Fantasy Star Three Card Revolution. It, it was a card game. It just was a card game. Yeah. yeah. So like, what Botan Kaidos is doing very differently is like Botan Kaidos is a traditional RPG with battle sequences, and the way in which you engage with those battle sequences just happens to be with card mechanics. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a very fine line, but it is a difference. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, like Chain of Memories, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories is, is that way. It's a card mm. card based battle sequence system. But I don't have any experience with it, so I can't speak to it. I guess that game. I think that game came before Bon Kaidos, technically. Date date yeah, wise, I, think, I, so. I think it predates Bon Kaidos. Yeah, it was because it, it was a GBA game originally. It, I've actually still got the GBA yes, version somewhere. Yes, it was. I uh, I did not get that game at all when I first played it, and, and kind of hated it. But I'm I'm very keen to revisit it now that I kind of understand different different types of mechanics and things a bit better right because I, I i can see that being a really interesting one to to fiddle around with yeah so um uh, did you have any others you were you were interested i just kind of had like broad kind of categories that i kind of thought were yeah. interesting i've got one more specific one i want to bring up um which I, I mean it's kind of debatable if this is technically an rpg at all because it's probably more of a strategy game uh but it's it's got enough rpg elements in there that i'm going to mention it anyway um and that is, this is also the most obscure game on my list which is uh Asalia the eternal um, oh yeah yeah which is uh a, a kind of a hybrid of visual novel and rpg and strategy game um so uh, this this game is is really interesting and in it just does not absolutely it absolutely does not give a shit about uh what what is sort of quote good balance between <laughs> uh, narrative components and gameplay elements because there's like six hours of visual novel story before you do any fighting in the game at all um which will almost certainly put a lot of people off but when you get into the strategy game side of things it's so good it's so good um Basically, the the way Aselia the Eternal works is uh, it's all it all takes place on a kind of node based map, which represents kind of the 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 kingdom or the area that you're in doing the mission in. So there's kind of specific routes between different areas, and you have up to four different squads of uh, people that you can move around, and each squad's got three members. Um, and there's three types of characters: there are attackers, defenders, and support characters. Um, and each of those, as you might expect, they have their own particular function in the party. Uh, but what's interesting in this game is that uh, the order of your characters is important. So the order that you put them in in your party uh, affects what they are going to do in combat. Because um, it's almost got sort of um, what, I, what I call hands-off combat in that you don't specifically pick commands for your characters uh they do stuff according to what order you've put them in in their little squad okay and and the actual lineup of abilities that they've got so different characters have different abilities uh, and you can ensure that they're going to do a particular ability by what position you put them in the party it so almost sounds if you want- like what you were talking about with neptunia it's like the real the real joy here is the pre-work you do oh, yeah, before yeah, battle yeah, in order to engineer these things to happen the way you want 
yeah it's it's all about the preparation in this game so that that's where sort of a, a big part of the strategic element comes in so um attackers are mainly designed for sort of putting in the front slot of the party because they will then run forward and they will hit an enemy uh, that's that's like their sort of most basic function um defenders if you put them in the middle slot they will sort of um they'll basically tank from that point they will they will sort of shield everyone else they will take damage for other people support characters again you put them in the back row and they will do like ranged attacks um but then you can do things like sort of if you put the support character in a different slot they might do a healing spell if you put them in the front slot they might do something different again so it's it's not necessarily as cut and dry as putting the attack in the front the defender in the middle and the support the back you have to kind of switch them around according to um the, the challenges that you're facing at a particular time um and there's there's other other interesting elements in here so there's permadeath in this game so um the game ends straight away if one of the major characters is killed uh but there's also a fairly substantial kind of supporting cast of characters who um they, they can just die and like if they die in combat then you just don't get them back um so um there's that to bear in mind and i think probably the most interesting thing about this is they all have a stat called mind um and mind uh represents the mental trauma of combat um and so as they uh, the more powerful attacks they do will have a stronger impact on their mind stats so like if they if they are being very aggressive and like killing loads of people they basically end up going bonkers um just because they're, they're just being used to to kill things mm -hmm. and like anyone anyone who is d just sort of forced to do that is going to go going to go going to go crazy eventually um and uh, and so if you want to engage with the other side of the game the the visual novel side of things you have to keep an eye on this stat because certain events will happen with these characters but only if their mind stat is above a certain point so like if you've been traumatizing your entire squad by just making them murder everything in sight then everyone is going to be like sitting alone in their rooms dribbling to themselves and, and they just don't won't want to talk to you um and so you've got to really bear that in mind as well so um yeah that's that's a really interesting element where they kind of blend a mechanical aspect with the story side of things again and, and again that ties in with the overall narrative of what's going on in the game as well again i won't get won't get too into that now because it's 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 an interesting game that people should experience for themselves but yeah the the, the way that ties in with between the mechanics and the element and the um and the narrative elements works really nicely so yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one that um, I'd like to revisit at some point, and I've I've actually got the sequel on my shelf as well that I'd like to take a look at at some point. Um, again, that's more of a follow up rather than a direct sequel. I think uh, there was also another game that I think is by the same people. Um, it's it certainly has some sort of connection to Aselia the Eternal. That's called Yumida the Ethereal. Hmm. That's more that's more of a traditional um dungeon crawling rpg but the difference in that one is that all the all the combat is based on um like rhetoric and arguments interesting uh, i don't know how it works because i haven't played it at all but i know people who like humanity the, the ethereal they really love it so i'm looking forward to trying that one at some point it's just not one i've got round to yet but um yeah i know there's a very strong emphasis on, on like arguing and and um and that sort of thing in that one so, so it's yeah, the I'm, internet I'm the game <laughs> basically basically yeah ah uh, yeah so those are all the specifics i wanted to talk about so you said you had some general things you wanted to yeah just well, like a so fire away in general i think it, i think everyone has a pretty so pretty big soft spot for games that have a uh, some kind of active element in the combat 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, immediately I go to like the you know when Mario RPG came out. Yeah. Right. And and all the Mario RPGs after that, Paper Mario, the Alpha Dream, handheld Mario RPGs, they all have that delicious mechanic where you, you don't just attack, but if you press A right before Mario jumps on his head, you get an extra bonus point of damage. Or um, yeah. if you press it when you defend, you can you shave another point off. So mm-hmm. I really love games like that. You know, so I'm not just sitting there watching. I'm actively engaged yeah, yeah. with controller in hand. I think any game that does that is really cool. Um, I know loads of people still to this day pine for a new Legend of Dragoon. Mm-hmm. And Legend of Dragoon did that quite well um, yeah. with the timing on the attacks. I very fondly remember that. Um, and then in, in a similar vein to this, um, a series that I'm just beginning to explore and I know you're quite fond of is... Um, uh, games that have uh, roulette style mechanics. So I'm uh, thinking, mm-hmm. of course, about Shadow Hearts most di- yes. most directly, um, which had that that in combat roulette wheel um, that you would were in charge of pausing with the appropriate timing to n- not only get the success of your attacks, but sometimes to do to do a combo. If you were doing a special move yeah. with three hits, you had to nail all three of them. Or and then, of course, the the joy of the what is it? The judgment wheel is that, is that what it's called? Uh, judgment ring judgment think, ring yeah. so like what, that also uh, also works outside of combat right so like if yeah. you have to if you're trying to lock pick a chest or something you have mm-hmm. to do it too but it's 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 everything in combat is based on your success or failure with this judgment ring. yeah um yeah i found that really interesting because it's it's it was a a completely skill-based uh way of handling um what would be a dice roll in a tabletop game yes um, and, and so, like you mentioned, the lock picking stuff there. Yeah, that's a great example. Like in in D and D, if you're trying to pick a lock, you would roll a dice and apply modifiers to that. In Shadow Hearts, you you have uh, the Judgment Ring, and the better you are at something, the larger the areas are on the Judgment Ring, making it easier for you to hit the right things. Um, the other interesting thing about the Judgment Ring is that after a while, uh, it becomes a matter of uh, muscle memory and rhythm mm-hmm. more than keeping an eye on the screen. So after a while, you will learn that a certain character's attack has a rhythm. Ba, ba, ba. And so you will, you will know that after you hit that attack button, that is the rhythm you're going to have to tap out on your X button for it to, to go off effectively. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's it's one of those games where you, once you've been playing it for a while, you just you'll just really get into the zone with that, and you'll know all these different rhythms, and you'll be hearing them in your sleep. And <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it's just it's kind of it's almost almost like another another layer of almost characterization, I guess. I mean, I know it's a really weird thing to say, but yeah, just each character having their own unique rhythms for their different attacks and so on. It, it, it it's another way of immediately identifying them in the game. And yeah, yeah, Shadow Hearts is wonderful, and everyone should play it, and it needs to come back, or at least be remastered. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll ever happen, because Sacknoth nope. is dead. Nope. But, uh, let's see, what else did I think was cool? Oh, well, like, uh, I think, you know, I won't talk about it much, because A, I don't understand it yet, and B, I know we were planning on doing a focused <laughs> episode on it, but Unlimited Saga also has a roulette wheel as part of the combat and as part of environmental navigation and, and basically dice checks for things like treasure chests yes. and trap survival. Um, 
but it's much more complicated than the judgment ring <laughs> because yes because like like the one the the roulette and unlimited saga will also just say like fuck you sometimes like <laughs> you'll 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 like get the thing you want and then it'll be like uh nope like like, <laughs> like unlimited saga is is a, a hate monster and like i yeah and 15 years later i still don't quite understand how to play it but i want to so like oh, yeah, definitely. i'm making yeah, desperately it's like one of my great life projects to like fully understand unlimited saga um there's i think i've shown it to you before there's a guy on youtube who's done like a 12-part tutorial series yeah it's like his entire saga. channel is just teaching people how to play <laughs> unlimited saga yeah I, I would love to know how to play that game just because there's so much interesting stuff and i mean we'll talk more about this when we actually do an episode on it but um yeah just the the way it really runs with the tabletop angle is just fascinating yeah. just because that even extends to like in combat you have a bewildering array of choices of things to do in combat and that's just a reflection of like when you're playing D D, it's just a dm turning to you and going well what do you, what do, you do yeah, and it's not like it's not picking from a list of abilities unless you're playing D and D fourth edition, burn. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's just deciding what you're going to do, and it's not just oh, I attack that monster over there. It's like no, no, I whip out my dagger and I slash it across their throat, and they leap on the table, and yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's not it's not quite that in Unlimited Saga, but just like the array of options there is obviously trying to channel that side of things. And I I, I don't yeah. think people really you know people hate Unlimited Saga. Like it's yeah. it's rare to find a game that people hate as much as Unlimited Saga, um, and that's part <laughs> of the reason I love it so much. But like, I don't I don't think people understand that like the obtuse nature of Unlimited Saga is directly tied to its to the fact that it's attempting to emulate the experience of a tabletop game. Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to know the rules of a tabletop game in order to play it. Like Unlimited yeah. Saga is not packed full of uh, tutorials and and easy to understand. Um, mechanics because Unlimited Saga expects you to engage with it to fumble and to learn it then come back mm -hmm. again with that knowledge and approach it again yeah. and again and again until you know the rules enough to play it right and like that element of discovery is an integral part of the game and especially it's combat engine which makes it one of the yeah. most unique games ever made mm -hmm. also Definitely. one of the most visually stunning games ever made but that's a mm -hmm. discussion for a different time um, and a fantastic soundtrack as well. Yes. But we'll um, talk about that at the time as well. <laughs> I, I owned the soundtrack for Unlimited Saga before I owned the game. I've had the soundtrack yeah. for that game. The like, official, like, Squaresoft printed, like, was, like, $80. Like, it's one of the best soundtracks ever made. And yeah. quite possibly, if not my favorite, then one of my top five battle sequence music um, mm -hmm. tracks of all time. Um, yeah. I had one more game listed... Um, that I thought was interesting and worth discussing. And it, it kind of ties back into what we were talking about with the combo systems, because this game also featured a combo system. But um, uh, Chrono Cross mm -hmm. um, has one of my favorite battle systems. Um, so Chrono Cross had a very similar kind of dynamic to some of the other games we've talked about today, where your attack, your attack sequence consists of building um, a number of abilities out of a list that you pick from yeah. um, and then you execute a couple moves in a turn um now uh spoiler alert for a 20 year old game cover <laughs> co cover your ears but um what's amazing about chrono cross is the way in which its combat system also ties into its narrative but it's something you don't discover until the final boss 
Right. Um, so in Chrono Cross, you, uh, every attack you choose in your combo also has an elemental affinity, which is color-coded. Mm -hmm. um, now, I never noticed this. Maybe you did, because you're a music guy. I don't know how other people's brains work. But um, every color is also tied to a note. Right. And when you execute those attacks, it plays those tones. Right. And I never noticed that. So, like, the, the final boss of the game, this is interesting because they never expect you to engage with this for the entirety of the game. Only for the final boss. But it, you can defeat the final boss, like, take all her health down, and you get the bad ending. Mm -hmm. But in order to get the good ending, you can't kill her. You have to play her lullaby for her. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you can't kill her. You have to have all three of your characters geared up with the right moves and, and execute them in the right sequence without being interrupted to play her lullaby for her. Oh, that's amazing. And as a kid, that blew my goddamn mind. <laughs> Because you get there, and you're like, I've been playing this game for 50 hours, and I just realized that I can, <laughs> that I can, that I can use the combat system to play music. <laughs> and, like, I can't think of a single game that's ever blown, like, blown the top of my head wide open like that. Hmm. Like in in the in the in its twilight hours, completely flipped my entire understanding of everything I had engaged with prior to that. Like, truly, truly an amazing feat from a design perspective. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. So that's the last one I've got. Um, you know, there's tons more. I'm I'm sure out there, and we can always do <laughs> we can always do oh. one of these episodes again. Because um, I'm oh, sure we'll be, we'll be back on this subject definitely. I'm sure for I'll sure, think there of is. More. Like, as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> but yes, there are many more RPGs to talk about, many more elements of RPGs to talk about as well, so we will definitely revisit this at some point in the future. Okay, so let's wrap up then. So, would you like to tell everyone where to find you online, as usual? Yes, so uh, everyone can check out my uh, my website, mrgilderpixels.com, and Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram, at mrgilderpixels. Um, I am currently varnishing my largest pixel painting ever as we speak. It's drawing in the garage, so I should be posting that in the next day, next couple days, probably by the end of the week, so please keep an eye out. I'm very excited about it. Excellent. And you can find me on moegamer.net, where you'll find my cover game articles. Uh, like I say, at the time of recording, I'm currently covering Death and Requests by um, Compile Heart, Idea Factory. Um, you can also find my YouTube channel, which you may well be uh, watching this podcast on. If you're listening on SoundCloud, uh, there'll be a link to the YouTube channel in the uh, audio description. Uh, if you're on YouTube, there may well be a link to the SoundCloud on the video description. How convenient. Um, I yeah, absolutely. Also, just wanted to give myself a shout out because uh, I've put a book out now as well which collects together all of the cover game features from moegamer.net in 2016 uh, in lovely text-based format. So if you would like a hard copy of the stuff I've written rather than reading it online, then that is now available. I'll pop a link down there in the description as well or pop by moegamer.net and there's a link in the sidebar for that as well. Uh, I'll be making some more of those uh, during my couple of weeks off as well, so watch out for those. 
All right. As always, then, thank you very much for watching and or listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.